Hello and welcome to ClapperCast. I'm your host as always, Carson Tamar, and today on the first of two birthday specials this month where I gotta choose the projects that we are covering, we are talking about Damien Chazelle's Babylon. Editor-in-chief Jack Luke Sharp joins the show to look at this very controversial feature that came out in December of 2022. While some people absolutely love this film, other people completely loathe it, leading to a very divisive feature as it follows a group of individuals living life in the Hollywood system during the transition from silent film to talkies. This is again a very divisive feature, but one that both me and Jack have an incredible amount of love for. And today on a nearly three hour epic of a show, similar to the three hour epic we are talking about, we break down not just why we think the film is so special within Chazelle's filmography, but also what it means for Chazelle moving forward. We discuss how the controversy of First Man and La La Land built the film, and we discuss how it makes us wrestle with our love for the industry and for Hollywood. It is a big conversation. It is a fun conversation. I must warn everyone that I was sick when I was recording this. Um, I was just getting over a sickness, and while I thought I was fine, I was not necessarily prepared for three hours. The last hour, I will admit, I was kind of dying and out of it. I know Jack lost his voice by the end, um, so we really gave the podcast are all and I really hope that you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed being there and having it because boy do I think this is a fun and special episode with that said again thank you so much for listening for subscribing for following the podcast enough of this ramble let's get to our review of Damien Chazelle's Babylon what about you sorry if you could go anywhere in the whole world where would you go I always want to be part of something bigger love that answer. Something that lasts, that means something. Something yes. more important than life. Yes. It's written in the stars. I am a star. If I had money, I would only spend it on things that were fun, you know? Not boring things like taxes. I'm just one for everyone to party forever. Okay, and I might as well start off today because it is my birthday episode. Just a warning to everyone, I am getting over being sick, so if I sound awful, uh, for context, I woke up and came on the call and Jack immediately was like, wow, you sound terrible. So, (laughs) you know, I don't know, it might sound bad. But Babylon, Damien Chazelle, a director I really love. When I was getting into film, as far as modern filmmakers who I really, like, um, started to identify as being something special. Chazelle was one of those, like, immediately from Whiplash to La La Land to First Man, um, where there are some, like, Wes Anderson, which are very distinct on style. Like, Chazelle, I really kind of gravitated to, and I was like, oh, this guy's making special work. Um, Obviously, you see a career trajectory of Whiplash into La La Land, getting Academy Awards, getting recognized, getting celebrated, being seen as one of the modern greats, Um, very reflective also in his work. And then he goes into First Man, and because of very stupid controversy, that film gets destroyed at the box office. That film just plummets him down, uh, much less with the pandemic after. Um, so a very weird trajectory and interesting um, career going into Babylon, which I was excited for just being Chazelle. Um, but I must say, and not, you know, you know, just as quick opening thoughts blown away by the film on a first viewing. Um, even with what I expect from Chazelle, who I think has made multiple five-star features, uh, this film, and an analysis of the Hollywood system, of progress, of film, um, it carries such a unique 
weight and venom and love that I think really must speak authentically to Chazelle's experience. And I think as an experience we'll get into is defined by the first man release experience, um, seeing both sides of Hollywood, how it will reward you and celebrate you and then spit you out on the street. Like you're trash, um, a massive feature. I was watching this. I don't think I've ever had this with the Clappercast podcast where I was watching like a film narratively and it just feels massive. Like we have endless things to get into. Um, but <laughs> From a cinematic craft to a narrative uh, direction to an st- emotional statement, um, I think this is incredibly rewarding, incredibly big, but incredibly well done. Um, and I think it really is when you look at this. And I rewatched La La Land, I rewatched Whiplash. I think this is Chazelle's best feature, and I think it's going to go down as his most interesting and best feature. Um, I don't know how you feel about that. I know that's kind of controversial. Um, and I know this film is controversial. Some people love it. A lot of people hate it. But for me, it strikes in all the right levels where I really love this one. Um, so just opening thoughts there. Jack, what are your thoughts on Babylon? Well, that's hard to follow up. Um, I agree with probably everything you've said regarding your sentiments. Um, I, I had, a, I had a, a, a similar type of relationship with Giselle, whereas I think when I, I was in college, which is in England before university, I did a, two years of film studies, and this came out right at the time when I was leaving it. So it felt really interesting. Whiplash, should I say, Whiplash specifically came out in a time where I was, I was, I was beginning to um, to, to really to specifically look at critical thinking uh, in, in film, and that just sort of blew up. I absolutely blew up with it within within film studies, all that sort of stuff. So I've kept a quick eye on him, and then after after <laughs> Whiplash comes out. You have La La Land, which I think I, I had trouble accepting at first, and then it's grown on me for, for for different reasons. And then we have First Man, which I watched in IMAX in Seattle, in in Washington, in America, one of the first times. I think I watched it maybe the day or the night before Halloween came out, which was strange. The uh, David Gordon Green film, but you know, we know we're not here for that. And then this came out, and I didn't see this in the cinema. It's the one I haven't seen bar his his, his debut and his, his writing credits. Um, for reasons I was working away, I couldn't get a good screening for it. It sort of died on release, which I think we'll probably talk about a bit later. So I, I pushed this away um, for a while, and I didn't I didn't get around to it because I didn't have any time. I was watching 90-minute movies. This is three and a half hours or whatever it is. It's, it's a beast. So I, I, I pushed this away, and then you wouldn't stop talking about it. Um, other people were like, you need to sort of watch it. And then it was like an on-running joke when we when we were getting back into the second gear of this. I was like, I have to watch it, and I did. And I agree with everything that you said. I see it in a really interesting viewpoint, similar to yours, but also I think it's even more um, important of what we've seen in the last 12 months in Hollywood as well. Um, I think there's a lot to get into, a lot. But I, I see this this film's box office as probably an indication of it being slightly ahead of its time, especially in, in, in its indictment of the Hollywood system, which in, what, 12 months later, or maybe 14, 18 months later, proved him right as anything but this more so in the wake of the me too me too me too movement and etc etc there's a lot to unpack here um i i uh watching it a second time is strange i don't know i i i've spoke about this on the podcast before with you and i i always struggle watching something i really love again i very rarely watch second um, second viewings if i can help it if it's not a different version of the film i, I tried just, there's too much to watch for one reason so i wanted to come back in here to sort of talk to you about it for obvious reasons but also just to see if it holds up, and it and it really does. But again, I think there's there's a lot more venom in here than 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 we 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 think first time around. So I'll go back to you and see where we go here because it's going to be an interesting conversation, I'm sure. 
Sure. I think there's also just so much more like um, layers and perspective to this. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting when you look at La La Land and the conversations around perspective and diversity and race, especially in that film, a very bold, I think, shift to do what you do in Babylon, um, where he paints this cast of characters of all different colors, all different genders, all different identities, sexualities, um, and he throws them into this changing Hollywood system. And he sees how the film industry uses them, how the film industry helps them, abuses them, you know, various things throughout their lives um, in a very sweeping uh, scale here. Um, I, I think that's one of the best things about the film. As you mentioned, it's like three, it's over three hours. It's like three hours, 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the amount of stuff, cover, amount of characters, amount of narratives here. Um, it's really impressive. I think he really does have I mean as you mentioned I mean there's a very like intense venom to this film um with each of these perspectives and each of these characters that I feel like are really given a heart and soul and that's why I keep coming back to is like the depth of Babylon where it's easy to look at Margot Robbie's character or look at you know the main set main couple of characters Brad Pitt's in here obviously um it's for me all the side characters that get their times um that get their narratives that get their experiences that really flesh out the experience for me and i think it really makes it an impressive feature that this is three hours and i can watch this pretty much any day um i i think that it moves incredibly well um and it has the substance needed for a runtime like this i don't know if you've seen bo's afraid or not yet but in context of like do you have enough for three hour features i think this is one of the rare ones where i really feel like there's like very little wasted space um which i think is incredibly impressive i I haven't seen uh, i haven't seen bo's afraid i agree with you i think there's 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 quite a lot that leads up to this as well which you mentioned before that makes this even more sort of profound i think there's probably three levels i think giselle's career i think modern hollywood where it's going I also think um, expectation, but I but I agree with you. I, I think in my review, I don't think he will make a better film than this. I think let's just get, get out of there straight away. I think <laughs> I, I find it hard to look at this and on a subjective matter and 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 consider that he could make a, a film with more emotional torment, a more profound poignancy, blood, sweat, and tears into something here. And the fact that this has been. And I think we have to judge it what it was when on commercial release. It was just not necessarily panned, but sort of blown over. Strangely enough, I think people didn't want to engage with it. And I think for reasons we'll get into into a bit later. But it was it was it's very strange. I think that for me made this not have a a sort of twinkle in its eye. But there's always something very interesting when a film with a profound uh, personal ideology by a director somewhat gets not misaligned. But but does get pushed to one side and and like well you know it's it does forget about it and I think it's one of those very rare occasions where I think it was made at the right time by the right person in the right scenario because we were talking about this on Uncut Gems the other day and, and Chazelle came up because I, t- I told uh, Jacob we were doing this and we were talking about Spike Lee and just the context of making a film that's quite highbrow and out there very early on in your career is interesting me but Bo was afraid up with Ariasta having to make Midsummer and Hereditary before he made Bo. And I think this is similar, but I think it's different within the actual context of the uh, the filmmaking. I think it's all about the thematic. I think he had to go through a few front doors and then be led out back doors in, within his career. And I think not rightly so, and I, we'll get onto that as well. As, again, there's a lot to, lot to back up on. But I agree with you, 189 minutes, this is a monster. In the modern day age as well, when you get, you've got your, your Avengers um, 
you know, Infinity Infinity War and Endgame when they're coming clocking at three and a half hours in three hours. And even those are a, a, a questioning of, of run times and we've had Kills of the Flower Moon. There's always this re, re, repetitive nature about running times. Uh, I think this owns its running time quite well. I, I agree with you, surprisingly so as well, because he's, he's not the most lacking of self-indulgent Chazelle in, in certain cases, but he always does it through sort of framing and, 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 and production. And I've got a lot of time for that. If you're going to make your film more inventive, you know, let's have 10 more minutes. It's not a problem. As long as it's not just consistent little dialogue, I'm fine with it. So that is, uh, granted, I don't know how you felt, but when it, when it was first clocked in for me to watch it, that was quite a big red flag. Just because of the subject matter, and I think because we're gonna, you're gonna ask a question later on. And I think it's interesting, <laughs> but a film essentially about filmmaking or film, I, it's very rare you can do that in ninety minutes and have a and, and have like a substantial amount of well, substance really. But I, I agree with you. I, I think he, I think he works this. I think he answers a lot of questions here, not only about himself, but more so about Hollywood and its treatment, but also about its production because. I, I I remember when this this first was sort of announced and they were talking about who was in it and I remember Brad Pitt was the first person announced and they was like oh we, he's going to play someone from the 30s a forgotten star and I was like oh, okay that'll be interesting and then there was rumours about then Margaret then I think Emma Stone then it was Margot Robbie and then there was a, a few more here and there and the big one was Toby and I, I'm joking about because it it's on my if anyone can see this my name's Toby Maguire on this tired because he looks quite drawn in that film but it was announced he was playing Charlie Chaplin in this. And I, I looked at that and I was like, I think that's probably the wrong mistake to go too on the nose. If you start personifying people with this, I think it restricts of what you can go here because there's legality issues and there's there's conjecture and there's also a, a, um, a, a consciousness from that time where I think even as film fans, I think we look at that and are very much... Um, whimsical time and, and you look back at sort of Hedy Lamar and, and, and stuff like that and um, Mary, is it Mary Earps? Not Mary Earps is a goalkeeper for England. I can't remember the last name. I do apologise. Um, but uh, there's uh, a, you know they all have cocaine issues. They all die of t- tuberculosis. There's a lot of alcohol. There's a lot of um, mental health issues. Um, there's a, So th- there's a lot he probably felt engaged to touch on without having to actually name. I think, I think Billy Wilder did it in Sunset Boulevard probably to the best um, objective matter about labeling a star, having people there, but not, not giving it in it prow- prowess, just because you you want to, you want to sort of indict the system rather than the person, which I think is, is is quite um, well in modern Hollywood it feels quite um less restrictive than than annihilating people with mental health issues and so on and so forth. But I suppose it's another conversation. But no, I, I this sort of blew me away. I, it's difficult to sort of, and I, I know I'm going on here, but it's difficult to sort of assess. Um, wh- where we start here, because I, like I say, I think this starts. You think it's first man, don't you? Where this starts, the, where Babylon, you think starts? No, I think. Well, I think the the foundation has been set. You you wouldn't have this without La La Land. You See, wouldn't I have agree. this without Whiplash. You wouldn't have Ooh. this without the Whiplash short at Sundance. I'll say, um, and there is potential depending how this goes. I might be working. My next feature might be on Chazelle, um, but Ooh. I don't think you get. I don't think you get this film without every single one of those individual steps. And I think right. rewatching his work, which I rewatched a lot, and I watched Guy and Madeline on the park bench. Yeah, couldn't couldn't find ever. it. Yeah. There are bits and pieces of this film and all of that. And it all builds together though. You don't get this experience perspective. Um, 
very like it's interesting because this is obviously a film that's telling the tales of like from the 1920s and 30s it's a big project it feels so and like there's so much distance i guess between this and chazelle um compared to his other works but i feel like this is such a raw expression of his soul and his mind and his heart and his brain when it comes to understanding the industry he's in um and he's directly been affected by and he's also affected um I think that you can't get this film unless Chazelle as a man and as a director and as someone in this industry has gone through the ups and downs he's gone in. Um, I don't think you could just like originate this. I I don't think you could. I think you have to live this and then have it, you know, become in you. Right. I agree with that to some extent. I think, I think that that's where the venom comes in. I think that's showing people, a lot of things that were sort of touched upon in his career. But I, I think the big emphasis here is La La Land. I think, I think that film probably came at, at the right time for him, perhaps, to blow up. But looking back, it's quite a strange film as of, in his filmography because it feels like a, a very big high compared to Whiplash in terms of critical, obviously, with, with, the, with the, um, the, the, the best picture of Scaff and, and all, the, all the, the Academy Award understanding. So it essentially played as his sophomore, but it actually plays as his, as, as his third film. But I feel like it comes at a very strange time for him because he, then he's given the keys. And relatively speaking, I think your third feature should showcase, you know, you, you, you do two independents, do something commercial or in between and then do your personal thing. I would probably say he's done it the right way, in my, my personal opinion. I think he's, he's done a small film, made one, one small passion project, which is Whiplash, and then make a big passion project. And I think for the most part, I think 70, 80 to 90% of that type of like 80, 90% of when it first came out was very warm. And then slowly it begins to trickle, doesn't it? And we, we see it a lot when people get on film Twitter. I'm not going to go into that much, but I think it's, it's relevant to conversation. You, I know you're laughing, but you, we both know where we're going there. I think it does have this, oh my God, La La Land, it's a, it's a, it's a whimsical, musical, wonderful endeavor. And then a lot more people start to see it and a lot more people go, ah, okay. And then it, it sort of plateaus a bit, but it, it hit the heights of, 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 of everything he wanted to. But that film to me felt like the, the, the surefire for his career. Two very prominent romantic leads in a, in a wonderful chemistry, very big box office draws, in a musical to reinvent it and did and won Academy Awards. And then people now consider that to be like, oh, it's just a, you know, it's a white man saving jazz. And I think I fall into that category. But having watched a lot more stuff again, and especially Babylon, I don't see it as that. I think he's looking at, at the era of Hollywood that people often misalign and forget and giving it that second revamp with his own personal um, personification. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think it's extremely well shot. Um, is it a little self-indulgent? Yeah, but I think that's Chazelle. I think he's wonderful with the camera sometimes. But I think that's that's the <laughs> issue. I think the fallout of that film comes with First Man and thinking, I can make anything I want now. And First Man's my favourite. I think we spoke about this before. I think it's my favourite. I watched it in IMAX. That end scene, when, not even the end scene, but the last third of the film when he gets off the Lunar Lander and it cuts to IMAX, is like genuinely one of the most goosebump scenarios to be on. And, and nobody gets that film. And I think... It's a, it's a wonderful companion piece to the stuff where he's he's very loud, very brash, whiplash, shouting, screaming, blood, sweat, venom, La La Land's shouting, screaming, singing, colour. First Man is a reclusive, stoic, very um, countermeasure type of atmosphere and performance that's all internal. And it's almost... I, I, I think that a lot of people said these in reviews where it was um, cold. I think the term was cold. And I, I agree with that, but I think he, he wrestles with that all the way through to when we finally see the 
the thing get thrown in from his his late daughter into the the uh, the uh, onto the moon surface, and he goes back home and with Claire. Uh, is it Claire Foy? It would be Claire Foy, isn't it? Yeah, and, and they put the hand there, and it's like the warmth. Yeah. But I think that's I think that's masterful. I think First Man. I think a lot of people looked at that and thought, why are we getting a director who's made that and then making this? And I think that then plunges him to a place of where do I go next? I just think, well, fuck it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to make an indictment of this industry. You've you've raised me up, and then you're pulling me down, and I've I've done I've done. I mean, it robbed at the Academy Awards as well. Like, oh, I mean, again, it's more poignant than ever, isn't it? Sure. And I think that's. Where I mean, it, I think that's that's one thing about Chazelle's career, though, is no one talks about like what the films actually are about. With La La Land, like undeniably, I think it's worthy to have the conversation around race in that film. Yeah, that film is not about jazz. It's yeah, not about jazz. Yeah, exactly, jazz yeah. is a plot point, but it's about this whole other thing. Babylon, no one talks about like, the, it's just like, I don't know, it's so weird to me with Chazelle films and that people like really do seem to like them, at least a lot of people, but no one talks about like what they're actually saying or what they're about. With First Man, no one like looks at that coldness and warmth. Like, I don't, I, to be fair, a lot of people didn't talk about First Man at all. Um, yeah. Whiplash, like, I don't think people really get into like the ending there and breaking down the morals of J.K. Simmons. Like, I just feel like people don't discuss with Chazelle films maybe because they're so flashy maybe it's because they're so intense and memorable with style and presentation even first man with the coldness but no one talks about like thematically what these films are really getting at and saying no one when they talk about Babylon talks about the diversity in the uh, characters on screen and what he's trying to say with that like no one talks about these films in a way that I find like when I watch the film, it's very openly saying something very overindulgent, as you mentioned, and we'll get to that with the um, ending <laughs> montage in Babylon. Um, but I, I just feel like no one talks about these films with what they're actually trying to say. And it's such a disservice to what Chazelle is doing because they are yeah. so worthy. Yeah, I mean, I mean I'm going to make some hot takes here, but stay with me. There's two, there's two reasons why I bring this. First of all, I find his filmography and him as a, him as a director eerily similar to Martin Scorsese and I find them quite intertwined on occasions. I think there's that young very much proud cinematic cinephile who just wants to engage with cinema and wants to do everything they can and I love that personification of passion. I think it bleeds into his work I think it's absolutely um, intoxicating to watch. It really is quite impacting. Again, that montage is, is, is personified by that. But I also think these techniques are eerily like, like Scorsese as well. Camera work like Goodfellas going into the bar like, like yeah, the, the the dance hall and the bar. There's a specific reason to choose that aesthetically, but also there's a substance behind it. Where for the first time we walk in with him, you know, and we're not that kid anymore. We're actually a real life gangster. And I also think the same that the same way is with Chiselle by making choices with camera, making aesthetic framing choices that indulge into well, not even indulge, but evoke a sense of um, external and uh, emotive power of the actual screen rather than you're 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 like relying on your actor essentially and i remember that that, that a few years ago i mean this is this has dogged most of his career but a lot of people look at scorsese and look at him just making gangster movies and like just looking at you just you're just profiling and highlighting terror and um the gangster and you're not giving any moral value on it and i remember it keeps on getting brought up and brought up within his career like is he showcasing the high life of jordan belfort and wolf of wall street etc is he just showing the high glitz and glamour of, of, of these horrible people? And the, the, the conversation came back again with the Irishman, and it was like, you know, aren't you, aren't you just glorifying these people? It's like, this man lives to 93 with, with a whole host of issues in, in, a, in, a, 
in a, in a room on his own. His family don't see him. He keeps the door ajar because he thinks someone's going to come get him. And yet he still remains silent about who, who may not have, have done this tragedy. Like, do you not think that's horrifying? Like, that's just, that, that's, that, that is, a, is a, a telling tale of someone who's just sold his soul to the devil and is living on a regime that no one's there for. I mean, like it said, they're all dead. What, what are you keeping secrets for? And I also think Chazelle gets broad in that brush where there's just, I think people want to see him as an aesthetic, then see him as a substance. So like the style and the substance, which is so unfair for him because I think you can make the argument that he is style over substance on occasion. But I think there's a lot there. I think I, I agree with you on Whiplash. I remember just people going, have you seen it? It's so good. It's so good. But people would only give you that tagline. They wouldn't go like, you know, and then you, you, you look at the film and you look at the narrative and it's echoing, you know, these these drummers, these jazz drummers who like died at 35 of alcohol poisoning and, you know, psoriasis of the liver and kidney failure because they were just burning out and drinking on, you know, were living a life of drinking drugs. I mean, that's horrifying to see this kid, this Andrew, who's like, have, has a girlfriend, lives in the city, is an accomplished uh, jazz drummer. That's horrifying, like a young kid just to just fucking burn everything away just because of one man, egotistical gumption to just bring him up. I think there's a lot of a dynamic there. But back to your point, I think Babylon is that as well. But it's interesting that Babylon's context works twofold about him and about the system that he works in. And we've said this on Clappercast, but also about Uncut Gems. And I, I have this theory. I find that audiences, often than not, don't want to be educated on a, on a larger level for our masses. Because I think, you know, if you go take your kids somewhere and they can learn something in a Disney movie, I think that's fine. But I think a 30-year-old 30, 30 or 35-year-old or 40-year-old or 25-year-old, etc., go to the cinema and have this, not necessarily an agenda, because I think, I think film's always political in, in, in a way, by it, but it's, it's human-crafted. I do think there's a form of, like, why I just want to watch two people fight in a, in a green costume and a blue costume. I think it's been like that for a while. And a long story short, I think for three hours to make a film about a very forgotten people in a forgotten era, which ironically is as close as there's nothing has actually changed. We're just built upwards. I haven't done anything. We're just built upwards in, in, in Blockbuster and, and cities and towns and stuff. Um, I think a lot of people just rejected it on, on, on first value basis, which is such a shame because it does have a horrifying amount of re reverence today, yeah. especially with, with, with certain aspects that we'll probably get on. But... Also... Go on, Carson, sorry. Yeah. I also think... No, you're fine. Um, I also think that a lot of people probably still, with like the modern conversation around La La Land, I feel like not a lot of people are there to give the time of day to Chazelle. Mm -hmm. um, I also think we've reduced so much of cinema in the conversation around film Twitter. I know it was like a meme at one point before this came out of directors making love letters to Hollywood. And I feel like like so many people reduce Babylon into being like that, or then you got the nuanced take of it being like a hate love, a hate letter. Um, I, I just feel like people did not engage. I mean, not to be like, oh, I'm so smart. I engaged with it. But I, just, I just genuinely feel like people did not engage with this film. Also just coming out late into award season, um, now a lot of these critics, you know, are just trying to see every single thing in award season. So if this is, you're watching this off a screener that was emailed to you, it's your fourth film of the day. You know, maybe yeah. that's also why, um, which I know I this was as someone who got a link emailed. I went and saw it in the theater first, mm -hmm. luckily, but I, you know, they did email links for this. So it, it's just one of those things where I think it's a frustrating um, ordeal how this was all put up. I think the whiplash conversation you had is interesting because um, thematically, again, this is one thing I noticed watching a lot of Chazelle's work is a lot of them are connected with very similar themes, which come down and you can kind of argue first man 
in there? Is it not in there? Um, but what are you willing to give up to achieve greatness? And what are you willing to uh, um, just like, what is, what are you willing to give up, right? As far as Whiplash, what does it take to make the next of the greats? Is it worth it? With La La Land, are you willing to give up, um, you know, the love of your life to achieve your career and achieve your dreams in Hollywood? Babylon, what are we as a system and as a society willing to give up to continue making progress and continue making these great movies? Who are we willing to literally like bury in the ground underneath us? It's a very connected um even yeah. Guy and Madeline on the park bench has it in there lightly. Um, it's a very connected filmography in that sense, where I think Chazelle continues to return to these ideas um, just in ways that every single time it's more relevant to where he is in life. And Whiplash, he is a young artist trying to break in, trying to make it. He's very much so walking into that drum studio and trying to prove his place on this band and try to take that next step. And La La Land, he's very much so in Hollywood being rewarded by his work. And he's trying to figure that out with his life and in context of it. And he's digesting that. In Babylon, he's very much so being spit out by the system that once really worshipped him. And good on him for also just continually making the most, I must say, of the resources he has. There's a lot of filmmakers. After First Man, they would not make Babylon for, for a plethora of reasons. Um, I always go back to our Neil Blomkamp conversation where it's oh, like, gosh. what's next? Um, and him continually, it feels like, trying to like uh, find a path forward in a way that's not safe, but he's he's not necessarily, you know he's not creating a Babylon, right? In scale and size and thesis um, in pretty much every single way. I must say, like, I've kind of, I really like Chazelle, as I mentioned in my opening. Watching Babylon, rewatching it, rewatching a lot of his filmography, I need to rewatch First Man this week. Uh, I just did not have time. Um, I've kind of fallen, like, in love with his work as him as a filmmaker even more. Um, and also, I love filmmakers that, who, like, you can watch each one of his films and he has a through line throughout them. Yeah. Um, but I've really kind of fallen in love with Chazelle and what he represents and what he like stands for as a filmmaker. I think it's really easy, especially after La La Land. And I think a lot of people with first man were really dirty with how they talked about that. And they thought it was him just doing Oscar bait, just trying to get, you know, do something safe. I don't think that's what that film is ultimately when it talks, you can talk about success with what it does. Well, um, I think it's very easy though, to get to that point and then want to play it safe to win an Oscar. Or I guess he did win an Oscar, but to direct the best picture winner um, and to continue to be in that spotlight. And I think the fact that he went and made Babylon is a very telling sign of like why I really like him as a filmmaker. I don't know. I, I just, I really fall in love with Chazelle again, which is good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, I, I agree that I think to further on that, I think he, he, he um, there's one specific theme that I think, is very prominent and very poignant throughout his work and is probably the most difficult for an audience and a viewer to um, assess and accept is that he will showcase somebody who comes from not necessarily a very humble beginnings but very much an, an archetype of ordinary, authentic character. If it's La La Land's um, Ryan Gosling, if it's Neil Armstrong, and if, if it's like uh, Andrew's, uh, well, uh, uh, what's his face, Miles Teller's uh, Andrew and, and Whiplash and so on and so forth. He will take someone very ordinary and push them to a, to the brink, and make them make a decision whether to go further or to when when to be able to call it a day. And I think as an audience, it's I think it's a very difficult. I think thematically, it's a very interesting notion to follow a character like that. But you have to be on board with it. And I think if if an audience is not willing to go on that journey 
and see a ramification of what they ask themselves, which I think ultimately the film is trying to deduce anyway. It's trying to re reinforce it. But, you know, we can all see if how far we will go, what we'll do for our family, what we'll do for our career, what will we do to make ourselves happier, so on and so forth. I think it's, it's a, a very reductive theme because it can, it can sound very one note, depending on how one writes it. But I also think it's, it's a difficult notion for an audience member to accept because that, that's a massive repercussional theme they have to then discuss. Very, very huge. And I think uh, average audiences will go into this and just see it very much one note, which I think the film even works as that, as one note. It's very, it, it, I think all of his films work like that. All of his work, films, uh, uh, his work is very audience-friendly, um, depending on that genre, if, if one is interested in it. But also I think that the, it works, again, what you said in the, in the background of critical thinking. It's going to ask you some quite grim stuff and quite dark things, you know. I remember we, we I, my, my, I think I watched it with my sister talking about the first man, and there's a poignancy about that and being like, you know, he, he ha, he's never really, um, you know, it's interesting because you 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 predispose the one narrative about going to the moon and the sacrifice there and the commitment, and and the journey, but also the secondary journey of of like grieving for his daughter. That you don't really have a relationship with, but we know it's there and it's lingering, and it's actually quite like de depressive and purposely so. It's 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 quite grim to watch someone who's just so disasso disassociated. But I think it also takes a certain type of person to to really really touch on that. But also we can understand it on a on a on a on a surface. But dig deeper, and you're asking yourself some really difficult qu questions and having a really difficult conversation with it once with with yourself. And the fact that those two work so much, I remember talking about it was like which which is the harder journey, and everyone says it's it's going to the moon. You know, look how it took them like six years. You know, people died, but those journeys are relative. To to finally put your daughter to rest on the moon and go back to Earth, starting as a different person. I mean, that that's like, <laughs> I, I I couldn't imagine what the grief is like that to lose a child. I mean, that's just unpalpable. It, it, it's un. un it's not even worth thinking about for me personally. It's, it's unfathomable. It's haunting to me. And I think it's a very difficult theme to engage with. Babylon does a very similar theme about why should I care about people who are living the land and living the, the way they want to with excess and stuff. And you can see at the surface level, but underneath they're all running away from something and they're all running away from and trying to fill a gap. And I think a lot of people do that in life is that people drink, people smoke, people do recreational drugs. There's always that gap. People can't slow down. And it's interesting how, how he, he dissects the th sort of the, th the three, but maybe four narratives here. So I'd say three. Let's, let's, let's go Brad Pitt, Margot Robert, and then more important, we'll get to that, that other one, which I think is, is, is very important. You've got a man losing touch and grasp of, of, of his own world because they're falling out of love with him. You've got a secondary person who's going into that, filling a gap of being essentially a stray. And then you've got the third one who is not only fighting for a name, but also an ethnicity, which I think is way overlooked in this film as well. I don't know how. we ha Nobody's sort of wanting to have that conversation. But for me, it's like ever so apparent. Like there's a culture there. Um, there's, a, there's a conversation to be had that when he's in the opening, they see him as someone who's being an elephant wrangler because of the colour of his skin and the way he talks. There's a conversation to be had here, definitely. So it's it. So those three things, you know, for, for a larger audience about the merits of Hollywood, those are the deeper themes. And I think people don't want to connect them because I think it is a very deep, dark 
and I often think it is quite a depressive venture. I think there's, there's a bit where he meets Annette Benning, doesn't it? Brad Pitt. And from that moment on, I think if, if you if you know thematic and you know narrative beats, you just know that it's just going to slowly but surely come down to earth. And um, it takes on a very different vibe then. A very, we go into the underworld and, and very much the bitter stuff of, of Hollywood and drugs and et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, I think he's just working on a, on a bigger plan. The, the one thing I want to mention, but I, do, I want to come back on again, it's just like a question is that, and I just want to just to plant this seed in your head. The worry for me is that he's going way too quick with these themes in these films. They are, they are hitting one after the other and after the other. And to me, it feels like there's going to be eventually a burnout of I don't know what else to do. And, and it's interesting. I think he, he probably would help from a bigger bigger gap. I mean, I think it's sort of self-exile at this point and partly in pause. But again, we'll, we'll talk about that because there's a lot to go here. But I, I just worry that there's a lot to be said and it's just going to burn the candle. And I'd hate to see that because I think he's a very interesting voice. But to go back to, to to a secondary point about what you said, it just is a very difficult film for an average audience. And I'm not patronising anyone. I hope it doesn't come across as such. But I think it is a very difficult um, thematics to latch up oneself on. You know, like like watching a, a millionaire. You know, his glass spills on the floor, and it's like world war. You know, it's the end of the world for him. I mean, that those problems are relative, but they're not my fucking problems. You know, I mean, they're not yours. They're not. They're not the average Joe. So I think it feels somewhat like that in an extent. But, but I think how he weaves this in, it's it's sort of incredible. But, but go go forward. There's there's so much. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting that you mentioned like they're not my problems because like obviously I'm not Damien Chazelle. I'm not a filmmaker, and I don't have the same relationship to film that he does in that sense. But like. I, as a film critic, as someone who likes film, as someone who goes sees films, um, I will say, like, I don't know, the ending montage and, like, the perspective of film and, like, digesting the film industry and accepting it, like, it does hit quite home for me, I would say, as a fan of film. Um, especially that end montage. I think it's so brilliant, and I was really mm-hmm. excited for you to watch it because, of course, you'll love The Matrix in there. But, um, yeah, you know, seeing these classic films that, like, we love, right, and, like, mean so much to us, and then reanalyzing them as you know um the film does the singing in the rain and kind of seeing like the bittersweet taste to all of that it's a very bold statement that like i i, I you know like i don't know a lot of people probably don't want to see their favorite film and be like oh it, like you have to also understand the bodies that have been laid for this to be created um i do think the film strikes though quite personally in that sense um i would be curious if someone like didn't have a connection to film what they would I, think about this I, I only i only meant in context the actual characters not the director though I, got, I, it. got I, it i i agree with you and i think w- one really difficult theme for this for me to attach is that and, and i think it was evidently clear with i think the montage ultimately sort of does a signature on it but i think it's throughout the film is that you can put as much blood sweat and tears into anything you can put your life you can put as much ma- enough money as to something as possible you have to grapple with the end of the day of that one day it will just turn to dust, if that's if that's conglomerates yeah. or if that's impact. Because everyone in, in the beginning of this film wants to make an impact in Hollywood. They, they all want to be the next star. They all want to be the next writer, the next director. And then as slowly things come on, there's the, now the secondary star that rises up. There's now the, the next big writer. You know, there's now the next big thing of audiences, yeah. which is obviously the, 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 the contextual point of, of audio in, in these films. And to see that, that end, end thing where to be amazed by it, but to understand that your part has been forgotten, although you have a part in that. It's a very interesting psychological um, yes. switch to go into because 
there's a lot to, there's there's so much to unpack just on that montage because you know it's, it's it's him doing his Kubricks, which I think is quite quite seminal as well and quite fun. Um, but also again looking at the the, sat, the uh, singing in the rain thing, which is like eerily poignant, eerily poignant. And uh, yeah, he was there on set, witnessed it, and then the person who was there with him is no longer here, and nobody remembers his name. I mean that's devastating. You know, you know these people who were who, who were there to bro. I mean, he he sort of signs off on this as well, dedicated to everybody who built built the town and stuff. Um, yeah. But but there's also. But I, it's even more complex than that, though, because it's not just being forgotten. But that's the power of film. That's why we love it. Is like yes, their places society yeah. is gone, but that's they still live on through film. Even like not just in the movies, but there's that um, scene of him and Margot Robbie dancing, and that's caught in film, and then it plays in the montage also where that love will now be able to live on. Maybe not mm-hmm. going to be popular, you know, like Singing in the Rain, but it's going to live on because it was caught on that physical film. Like, I don't know, there's something beautiful there also, though, with that. It's like these people are not dying, right, completely. They also find life through film and through yeah. um, the act of being filmed. It's just gorgeous. And that's why it's like this is not Chazelle saying he hates Hollywood or hates movies or hates films. It's that complex you know, give and take where there's this beauty and power that we love. You know, there's a re- if we hated this, we wouldn't come on here every other week and talk about it for two hours each time, right? Like, we obviously have a love for film that also is a hatred for some areas of the system, and but also we like the results of that. It's a very complex look at yes. progress. Um, I'm reminded of one of my favorite John Steinbeck quotes, not to go English, uh, you know, major, but he has this quote that's like, Why does progress look so much like destruction? Because, and I wrote a whole like essay about this where it's like, you can't have progress without destroying something, whether that destruction is good or bad, you have to get rid of the old to find the new. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just like, it's wildly complex in that sense where you wrestle with it. I mean, it it applies to film, but it applies to everything in life, right? Like um, it's just, I don't know. There's so much here that I think the film is wrestling with. And it really annoys me to see people, I don't know if annoys the right word. I don't want to sound like arrogant, but like it does, it, it's frustrating to see so many people reduce this film down to either being, I love this or I hate this or like something simplistic because the film itself doesn't even have answers. And then it also at the end, just like transcends this whole like, emo- like, um, conversation around like how should you feel about this to him just sitting in the theater and like enjoying the movie because it's also just entertainment. Like the, the journey in that montage that you go on I think is so underrated and unanalyzed and untalked about. That's not the right word. That's not English, but like (laughs) it's so it's so there's so much just in that sequence alone. And there's so many people I've seen on Twitter not to rant, but like there's so many people I've seen on Twitter just post that and be like, lol, it's loud music. And it's like, no, there's so much more being said here, guys. Come on. Even like the selection of films I don't know. I just feel like there's so much just in that one sequence, much less the three hours that come before it. And it's so like also just masturbatory and like that. I was literally sitting in the theater the first time laughing as it came on because I was like, this is the most masturbatory thing I've ever seen. I did as well. But also it works. It works so well and it feels justified. And I was like, yeah, I love it. Like this is one of those rare times where you have three hours of film that build up, build up, build up. And then you get like this orgasm almost on screen. Yeah. And at so many other filmmakers and films, you'd be like, oh, this is like, you went too far. But it does feel like he still has his hand on it. Like, I don't I really think it's one of the most probably in context of the film, one of the most impressive sequences of film, you know, in the last few decades. I really think it's impressive. Yeah, I, I would agree with that as well. And, and just to put, uh, to, 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 to evaluate a little bit further, I think it's also probably the most emotive and emotional um, empowering. But also, 
I think there's an it presents like an oxymoron again as well. It's you're watching something being captured that's not real. There's, it's, it's a very difficult thing to sort of. Well, film's strange because it, it, even just just photography, it captures something in the, in the moment that's real, but it's, it, it's it's it sort of lives on, but it's dead. It's like this really oxymor oxymoron. And when you add that into someone's life and someone's well job and and, and years of blood, sweat, and tears and, and emotional devastation and and financial ruin. It, it it obviously elevates the mundane. I agree. I agree with you as well. I'm not. I'll, I'll to, to get to the point here. The, 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 before that scene, my I was on four stars, a very strong four, and I, I think if he doesn't have that, I think this stays as a four. But because he does that, and I I agree with you. When it started, I knew exactly what he was going to do. I was hoping that he was going to do like um, like a snippet show of like um, bef, you know we're going to go see this at the small Chinese theater. Um, and where we're where, and he show a snippet of the old film and, and as soon as he gets into it and he's, he's like he cuts away and we watch we watch a brand new like singing in the rain I thought that's what he was going to do but the fact he does that and he does it in a sort of mesmerising Kubrickian way going back into the to the touching on, on film quite literally and, and, and feeding back into the heroes of him and, and, and again to be I mean well, I've done it today and I'll go back into it about the Scorsese thing but I also think it's a questioning of of um, appreciating what's come before it but also understanding it and, and, and understanding what the weight of it is for the people that only not only see it but they're also from the people who make it these are not just predominantly people who just turn up to work it's a very privileged industry to be in um, to go and, and make movies you know like Tom Tom Cruise's thing it's, well Denzel Washington says it's like send, you, send your son to Iraq that's difficult this this is not a chore this is easy it's a breeze of holiday and I agree to, to, to that assessment entirely Um Granted, Francis Ford Coppola may, may argue something different, but that's another story entirely. But it's also that appreciation of, yeah, but there's still people putting dedication into that to get what we enjoy. They're still losing time with, with family and getting paid on scale, which is nothing. Um, and, and, and to hear the 18 hours a day, the torture they get to hear about, it's, it's sometimes you, you don't get to hear the good in things. And I also think it's appreciation of that. I also, to that extent, again, talking about the multifaceted approach of that, I also think it's an interesting comment to make about what what was told about him in the press as well. He was the next second coming. He was the next big person. I've done it today. I mean, I, I compared him to Martin Scorsese. I feel that's a good frame of reference. But in the in, in, the, in the exact same thing I'm doing, I'm also uh, re re reducing his impact as a filmmaker in itself. And it's difficult to separate such because we have what came before, and then we have what came before Scorsese, and we have what came before that. But the lineage somewhat gets powerful as it's more more relevant as it is today but we compare him to other people and don't see him as a Damien Chazelle I think this film is, is, is incredibly interesting is that we we look at film we look at the, the montage and we see a perspective of what's relative and we see what's what's there now and there and it lives on forever but we also have to understand that it, 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 it has its it had its moment it has its moment it's still impactful it's still powerful and it has its own living breathing quality to it I think it's also probably a conversation of of what audiences project project onto him, critically and commercially as well. I think it's an interesting one. Maybe that's reaching slightly, but I do think it's there. I think he's too much of a of a critical thinking filmmaker to even suggest that that's not even relevant to the conversation. But again, I think that is a sequence that you could look at that and not just as an average audience and no disrespect reject the whole sentiment there, not understand it because I think I think that's fair enough. But again, the power to him as a filmmaker, it still works one note. It still works as someone. Bit pushing away cinema and seeing something and being just have have his heartbeat just bang again, boom boom. I think even on a one note, that's how good he is as a filmmaker. 
And that is a precedent set that very, very few, and I don't, I say this without hyperbole or whatever, I think there's a very few, make, few filmmakers in this, not only in this contemporary century, but I'm talking about since George Melies in, in 1908, that since that indoctrination of cinema, who have able to do that in being one note and then further echoing sentiments. And I'm not talking about just this film as well. I think that's rampant in everything he's done. Um, I think you can look at like the tr the trans conversation in the Matrix. I think you can look at other things, like The Godfather. You can look at Heat as as a stoicism and toxic masculinity. I think you can look at all sorts of stuff in very big filmmakers' history and 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 reevaluate it as the times roll on. I feel like this is relevant now, and it's going to be relevant throughout. And all of his films have that audience approach and the critical thinking approach. And the only people I can compare that to relevant now is is probably Scorsese and maybe a few others. I think. I mean, even, even not to derail, but even to think about that conversation about who also echoes those very similar thematics. I mean, fucking hell. I, I would, sorry for swearing, pardon my French, but I, I, I would really difficult. I mean, I'm thinking like one, two, and even then, I think I'd have to have, that would have to be an after hours question maybe for next week. I, I mean, that's how good he is. And and that that really is a touching um, sentiment, I think, I, I would hope that someone like that would appreciate. But I, I do have to go back to, to the, the whole ideal of, of Babylon. It's interesting that you said earlier, well, not earlier, but momentarily earlier, about um, you're glad this came out now. And it's an, that's an interesting conversation to have because you watch this and he's made three, four features, feature films. This is, I think this is the, this would be the fifth one, wouldn't it? If I'm not correctly, you've got, no, this is the fourth, isn't it? This is fifth if you count his debut that no one saw. Right. Yeah, let's really, like, in his career, I think you can say trajectory-wise, fourth. Yeah. Uh, when I watch this film, as someone who has watched all sorts of shit throughout his life, of, of being a cinephile, as we all do, we have a plethora of a, of a filmography we've seen. There's very few films that I see that this film feels like a man, not a man, sorry, a filmmaker, sorry, um, who is making a point about the system this early on. There are a few, and they don't particularly do very well, as as Babylon commercially didn't. But you always see it in a filmmaker who gets to a certain point and then asks questions. If it's Francis Ford Coppola in Megalopolis of what we're going to see, if it's going to be Scorsese in a, in a few indictments of Killers of the Flower Moon, which is essentially a cultural, social issue rather than a cinematic one, but, but, but bear with me. You look at an older generation. I mean, Matrix Resurrections is, is a prime example here. That's what I'm going to get to. But that's also a contextual issue of other other reasons before it. But you you do get these filmmakers who who are very genius in their day, and that's not to undermine anything. I think I think Machowski is a genius to the day I die. I need to see, let. We'll move on. Um, uh, but it's, it's interesting. You see these filmmakers, and then we see an indictment of the system after a, after a prolonged amount of inactivity. I think Ferrari's probably in that as well. I mentioned that in my review about this about pushing it back about the MCU entitlement of sentiment of film, filmmaking craft. Um, they're, they're they're often filmmakers who are relevant, incredibly commercial and critically relevant until they make one film and they get pushed aside. But they're fifty, sixty, seventy-year-old filmmakers. I would. I don't know a filmmaker at the level of Damien Chazelle at this early on who makes this indictment and this quite striking. I, I, it's like a twofold question here because that's the first one I wanted to talk to you about. But secondly, that can't have gone well behind closed doors because I think if 
there's a lot of <laughs> I need to be careful how I say this. There's a lot of people behind closed doors who cash checks, who tick boxes in regards to economics and producers, and will see this and go, "Oh, okay." And then there's quite other people behind closed doors who will look at this and go, "Do you know who, who, what you're playing with here? Who, who you're indicting here? My, my grandfather built this town, so on." So those people are still there, regardless of what name they are. They're still there. Um, there's people in, indebted to the furniture within these establishments. And I think a lot of people like that will take quite a lot of plaudits um, about the film's surface level. But behind plo- closed doors, I think he probably did ruffle quite a lot of feathers here. And that, that's my secondary question about why make the decision? It's sort of a twofold question. Why do it this early and why make the decision to do so then? After what we've seen and what we've spoken about. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think he's in a very unique position. I don't think there's been many people like Damien Chazelle with his relationship with the industry. The youngest person to ever win Best Director at the Oscars, which I think, like, not to, like, bring Oscars into everything, but I do think that's a very, you know, big moment in his life that I think is very influential, how yeah. that is a sign of him rising up and what that means behind closed doors also. Um, I think that, for me, I feel like he just had to get this off his chest. To be honest, for me, what this film feels like is like therapy almost, where he had this experience with First Man and he had this experience, these ups and downs, and he just had to get it out. To be honest, I don't know what he his hopes are even moving forward. I don't know. Like It almost feels like this could be his last film, to be like completely Oof. honest. Like, we'll talk about I, that. I really like... Well, both from, like, um, right. I, I'm meaning more from, like, a is he going to be able to get the resources to make another feature? Two bombs in a row, financially, just, like, looking at it on paper. Yeah. And his last one is literally tearing down the Hollywood system, including a direct montage where he's, you know, you could read tearing down, like, the biggest successes <laughs> of modern, like, yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's not a statement you make. And then you expect, oh, I'm going to turn around tomorrow and Warner Brothers is going to hand me 80 mil, right? Like, I don't think that's what this film feels like. And that's why I have so much tremendous, like, respect for it on a level. And I hope, like, other people do, whether you like it or not. I think the fact that he was bold enough to make this film, like, it's not like he's playing it safe. And I think he just had to get it off his chest, to be honest. That's what this really feels like. It feels like when I am up at, like, 2 a.m., mad that people are talking about bros a certain way and i write an article just like shitting we've all been there we've all been there (laughs) i feel like that's what chazelle is doing here not to say it's rush or like it's supremely well crafted if that's the case um with thought and tremendous just perspective and insight Mm -hmm. but like i i just think number one is the perfect storm of he's had a career in hollywood unlike any other also reflected in la la land you know like again going through his filmography it's in there but um I don't know. That's how I read the film. Maybe that's yeah. me romanticizing it. But. No, I, d- I don't know. I don't disagree there. I, th- I think that, that that's quite valid. I also think that it's interesting that even by the actual in, um, initiation of this film being like a thought process, it becomes a catch-22, doesn't it? Because if he wants to make a film about his, his, the indictment of the Hollywood system and he's a part of it, the connotations of that is an egotistical, self-centrist filmmaker which, ironically enough, I don't think this film is at all. Surprisingly so, actually. Like, honestly, um, I don't think there's probably 10 minutes in this film I would cut out. I do think it has slumps, but a three-hour film will do. Um, but I don't think there's a, there's a 10 minutes in here where I'd be like, okay, that feels... I mean, you could probably argue one one sequence we, we'll probably get onto later with Tobey Maguire. I think that's definitely one that's interesting. But we'll get to that. Um, but I definitely think that it's not a very self-centric or egotistical project actually whatsoever, nowhere. It's not. It's not a three and a half hour film about his faith or his own personal struggles. 
it's him being connected to an issue that he sees and which he can make a narrative, but also secondly make this indictment about the system that, that he's a part of. Or if people want to make those connotations, perhaps ask the, question, ask the question to him, what have you seen different between doing this film then and working now? Nobody wants to ask those questions because nobody wants the answer. I think he would be perfectly honest to say, nothing. Nothing, Serge. What, what's changed? We, 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 big, we big people up and then we throw them away because economic um, value on everybody is a price for everything, um, which I think is, is, is actually sort of this capitalist, brutal way about having a conversation about people and really not wanting to actually have that conversation about, about a conversation and connotation of what that actually represents. Um, and then when you put that onto uh, minority characters and, and black actors and actresses, um, Asian <laughs> actors and actresses, so on and so forth, that's when we get into some really murky waters. What value do you put on those people as human beings for you to make money off? We, we talk about, we, we, there's other connotations there that we go back hundreds of years about. So I'll probably leave that there, but there's major ramifications. But again, like you said, nobody wants to have those critical conversations because what does that talk about us? What, what do, because where, where, where exactly, well, you could say that primarily we're, we're at fault there as well because we're eating this up. We're, we're, we're paying to see this, that, this substance, but we're also not at the degree. I mean, granted, when the film's made, when that's released, it becomes our property anyway in this, in this virtuous industry in the sense that we can then judge jury execution on what we see fit because we're paying customers but there still is a, a an amount of paying audiences go to the cinema who who can then decide ultimately if that conversation is worthy of having and this film ultimately didn't but i, I again not, not, to, not to get off track that may be a, a feature in itself that might be something interesting to talk about but but no it, it's interesting that, that we talk about as i said to make this now and to make this in the context it was made because i remember when he when he he, he made it was it a tweet or a statement after he made it and people just fucking dunked on him and were like because he, he was like oh I'm i put everything into this and and to see this now is just heartbreaking i think the response i can understand being in that situation that would be absolutely haunting to witness because you've put everything on the plate and think and thinking right here it is just take this as it is, but also understand there's something here. I want. I would wish someone to find it, and people just didn't want to have a conversation with it. I think the. Um, I mean, that's just that's brutal. But he must have known that that was ultimately going to be a path that he may have had to face. There was going to be questions, and because he's in the public eye, it's like when Resurrections came out. That's like an incredible damnation of Warner Brothers who made this the fucking film. I mean, that's that that is so like out there. There, fair play to. Um, to Lana there like that is I said it's one of the most baller moves in the history yeah. of cinema yeah. yeah that is queen level shit I love it I'm here for it but that that's one particular personifications where the Wachowskis will remove themselves from public hemisphere they, they remove themselves from the conversation they let the films talk Chazelle unbeknownst to probably not not unbeknownst but Chazelle partly influenced by himself but other by the system is has that connotation of being the new boy you know, he's a new whiz kid. And because of that, people want him in the shop floor. They want to see him. And he has to, he, he, he probably goes on that line now of, it's a Damien Giselle film. And he gets connected to it regardless. So if this was ever going to do particularly worse for wear, which it did, he was always going to get the brunt of it because it's Damien Giselle, which I feel is slightly unfair. But also, if it's your film on the title, you have to take a little bit of stock. But you shouldn't have to 
you know, you should answer questions and let the film do itself. I think the film is more so capable of doing so. I think, I think, like you said, I think people people just don't want to engage because because I think Chazelle is like, oh, he made La La Land, like I'm, I'm bored of it. But he just became the meme, didn't they? Which is so unfortunate. But yeah, it did. I, I, Between that and genuinely the American flag, I think that people underestimate how much the American flag controversy of First Man. I don't think a lot of people like directly value that. I don't think a lot of people would on film Twitter be like, oh, I care about that or I agree with it because obviously it was stupid for multiple reasons. But I think that things like that and how it will shift the conversation on certain directors and on certain people, even if you don't value that controversy, then you get the idea that there is controversy with this name or it's a name that is, you know... Um, possibly worthy of criticism because of that or just generalized with how group think is and it shifts the conversation i think chazelle is very much so at a point where people are willing between that and la la land especially um i think a lot of people don't understand how damaged his name is when it comes to societal i, I mean talking impact. about yeah i mean talking about that now is absolutely fucking crazy like oh like generally <laughs> i think i was in the states when this was happening and um I remember there's like there's a, there's been a culture war in political warfare for a long time now. Last, well, for, for probably since its inauguration from its, its its inception, but especially within the digital age, it's been it's been pushed to be a, a, a very much a conscious conversation now. And I think once once someone plants that seed into a demographic and says, "Yeah, but there's no, there's no flag in that film," like you know, is that anti-American or is that anti anti capitalism? It's a bit. It's, once you plant that that that, that seed. I think people just run away with it, even if they don't want to have any context of it. And you see all these conversations as well, like when people ask people at rallies, I'm not going to name any names, we all know what I'm talking about here. Like very basic questions like, oh, like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they don't have an answer, but they go off off the sheep mentality if it's if it's for what or whatever. I think just once you drop that that um, that seed into something, it just it just it has it has, it births. It wouldn't surprise me to look back. You might, if you want to cut this, you, might, you can cut this now, but it wouldn't surprise me if if, if you look back on those that that time, if he had made a sort of left-leaning statement about anything, and then that was the retort, because why why they would identify that film about about quite a massive accomplishment in 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 the U.S. history, I find very strange why that would be a, a, a conversation. Perhaps it's more of a, a larger statement about the the right wing attacking Hollywood in the state of because it was around that time, twenty eighteen, where things were getting like really grim, wasn't it? Like really sort of like what's going on here with the bomb. Not to be that person and draw a narrative, but um, I typed in Damien Chazelle tweet just to find the tweet you're talking about with Babylon. And there's about 20 news articles from August 2017 about him joining Twitter to criticize Donald Trump. So Exactly. So you can keep that in because I need that. In. Yeah, it, but but it's not, it's, it's seriously like you can draw lines there. And I think if that doesn't tell you the power of the audience that are still there for Hollywood, I'd be shaking my boots a little bit there, but that's an, again, that's another conversation. But that's what I mean. It's interesting where that that comes from and where the deflection that's been, and and then his repercussions. Because I, I can't see someone going into First Man and and cri generally criticizing that in a, in a film that's incredibly um, above board with an, a vast amount of substance about about sacrifice and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, which usually you guys eat up if, if it's not Bruce Willis, you know, sacrificing himself on a, on a on a on a meteor or anything like that, you know, you, you guys are in the in the aisles. I've been there, don't worry. I've been part of that, married to one. When I, we're all about Americans here, um, which is you know, but it's a very proud type of audience to be into. Um, why people then rejected him from that and then was sort of critical for Babylon? I feel like there probably was. I mean, not, not let's get a, con a conspiracy tinfoil hats on here, but you can probably make the the uh, the suggestion that there was then a then a a, a, a seed planted in that well. 
and then he's going after uh, Hollywood, you know, the foundation of this country, you know, in California, New York. And I think that's where that perhaps it comes from. But I also do think that's that's just a slight um, connotations of this. I think, again, going back to what we said about thematics and stuff, but it's interesting you said there this could be his last film. I think there's going to be a self-imposed exile. I mean, there is, let me wrong. Um, th th there's going to be a self-imposed exile, and I think he'll probably go to TV because he did the Eddie, didn't he, with Apple TV, and I think he'll, he'll go to something else and really get his juve. That or the stage, I could see. I know they're. I don't know if he's involved at all. I know they're making a stage adaptation for La La Land. Um, I could see either one of those paths yeah. for a while. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, it'd be interesting to see him do that. He's too. He's too young, and I'm not going to sound like Jakob here, <laughs> an old man. Uh, he'll be listening, so have that one. But um, I, I don't see him as as he's such a young, quite vital voice in the in the audience demographic of getting people involved. Uh, being a film student, uh, being then and, and paying his service in that regard, and then doing this in musical theatre and bringing back essentially the 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 musical in a, in a in a second wind, and then especially with with likes of First Man, bringing back like the epic almost. And, uh, can argue about that, I suppose, but definitely being in, being in the pantheon as such. It's just too. It would be too dismal to see that. That to me would be like, I would I would I would say that would be heartbreaking for me, just because I, I you know. I can imagine when we all go through personal struggles, that's one thing, but to be personified on a world stage must be absolutely brutal. And to pour your heart and soul into something is, is genuinely sort of, to have the, the vitriol behind it must be devastating. So I can understand. And the financial failure of this, there'll be questions. And then the next one he makes, he'll be, 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 have to answer that. So even the film won't get its, its, its day in the sun because it'll have to be a comment. It'll have to at least be somewhat of a, an answer and a, a statement to the predecessor. He's in a very difficult position now. I see two things here. I don't see him necessarily just nose diving, calling it a day. I think he'll go back to work on something personal. Hopefully, it's not something like Malcolm and Marie. Let's sound like I hope to God it's not something like that. It has to be something that's personal, but also he's he has a dynamism to him. I also see a seventeen-year gap like Malik. I really do. I don't know why, just because maybe we're gearing up for something in the future we're doing, but I just see there's something very eerily similar about putting everything on the table there and being like, do you know what? I, I, I don't give a, I actually don't give a shit what you think about this. I'm going to do my own thing. I don't know if it'll be 17 years and you'll go to France and teach philosophy and then have an issue with God and then have a 19-year career afterwards about that, that, that specific subject matter. But it'll be interesting because the next question I was going to ask you then is that let's say let's let's come to some agreement there. I don't think he'll go make a film for a while. I think you you're on the same the, the conversation then. That follow up after this. I know we're jumping the gunny because I know we want to get back to Babylon but, and just indulge me. Do you think that film then is essentially going to be about filmmaking again? Is it going to be about the struggle with finding oneself? Is it going to be like the Malik thing about finding oneself, the faith? Is it going to be him just getting back to the circuit and making a film? Or do you think you're going to find those themes tenfold elevated in a response? Because that's the way I think he would do it. And, but I can see him in the, in the next thing just being like, I'll just do a gun for hire. I'll make it my own. I'll do a new, new musical and I'll, I'll inject a bit of flavor, but I won't, I won't really go into the thin red line of, of, of going on an island away from America and trying to find oneself, you know? That's why I come down to it. I can see both. I mean, there are two options, right? I think it's either he does... I mean, I think he has to tackle 
something about himself in it. So I think there's two ways you do it. Either you do something radically different, which I think he is a very um, ambitious filmmaker. He doesn't want to make the same thing twice. Look at the shift into First Man, right? I think you could do something radically different, or you don't go back and do La La Land again, but you do the classic musical style again as a statement on like his career and like who he is, and then you elevate that somehow. Um, I mean, obviously the options are you do one or the other, I guess. Like, uh, But I, it's hard for me to say which one he would go into. I, I really don't know. I would say probably something different if I, I had to just like put a bet on right, one, but okay. it could be either. See, I, I disagree with that. I, I think that would be... Sure. <laughs> That's how politely I would do. Yeah, okay. But uh, no, I'm not, not pushing back. <laughs> the only thing I think, the reason why I think he would go back into musical theatre if it's if it's Broadway, like you said, or if it's a cinematic venture, is that I think he finds that very warming and comfortable, and you sure. can you can get a lot of thematic there out in a very natural, organic venture without feeling self indulgent through a narrative such as Babylon of what audiences might feel. So I I think, sure. it'll, but that then begs the question: if he'll make something original, which I feel like he would do, I would I would like to see him back there and just just find a balance because it. I can imagine him just like I mean, maybe yeah. thinking of a film right now. I'm not not it might be callous of us to say so, but it does feel like this is a seismic difference. Because sure. I remember the he held he held his own with the, the, fall, the fallout of La La Land quite well. First Man felt like yeah. it was out of his hands. Like we've already said, it, like, what's wild that we even have to have that conversation? That's like generally that that is like the most wild thing we've had to have a chat yeah. about for a while. This one feels different. This this one feels tenfold uh, completely. I do yeah. want you just mentioned me though, not, not to. Um, not to go left field here, but do you know you said earlier about like people re- sort of let's. I think the term is reject this. I think that I think that's I think that's fair yes. enough to say. When I when I because you you've talked about this incessantly, if it, positively, you were like you need to watch it, watch it, please watch sure. Babylon. And we had we had a conversation quite a few times on on podcast about it. I read two reviews of this film before I watched it. I read yours, three actually. I read Kyle Kriegbaum's because we we have an eerily different differing opinion of a lot of stuff. And there's one more I read. Your, your two were quite profound in the way. That, yours was specifically emotional, emo, emotionally tender. Kyle was more um, uh, critical thinking. But I'd like that because I think if you find I find emotion in your reviews, I know I'm going to like it. Kyle's is like quite big on the on the, the cinematic craft. I'm not going to name this person, but I don't mean any ill ill blood here. I actually we follow each other on on, on Letterbox. I'm going to I just I'm going to read this a little bit and then. Please indulge me here. So this person watched it on the 6th of December in 2022, right? Um, so this person writes a review, and you can find this. I, 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 mean, I mean no ill will to this person. I would love to have a conversation with them about it. So they say, Damon Chazelle is a hack, and Babylon is disgusting, exploitative trash. Babylon is so juvenile and narcissistic, it spends over three hours exploring the horrors of Hollywood history, all the while completely undoing any point that he's trying to make by glamorizing every inch of this self-indulgent project. He shows us elephant shit and projectile vomiting and rat eating and actor killing. But all they are in the end are gags because he doesn't have the nerve to actually condemn or say anything. We see tit after ass after tit after ass, that's quote. And somehow it's not only unsexy, it also feels like a teenage boy's boisterous dreamscape. Babylon's screenplay is endless, obvious and simple. It's like he thinks he cranks everything up to the max, like a coke overdose, he'll make a point. But what is he saying or doing and just like singing in the rain? Um, which we've, we spoke about, we'll get into um, by putting this dialogue in contemporary vernacular and showing graphic partying or doing some re- re- revisionistic, re- revisionistic uh, history of Hollywood. 
Uh, I can't believe I have to say this, but Babylon has the audacity to shy away completely from the history of white actors putting on blackface in the silent era. Instead, and insist on having the one speaking black character not only going to blackface, but making performing the entire song blackface. Blah blah blah. Writing without writing without um, excuse me writing uh, out of the script without any character development. Giselle's out here thinking he's woke. Her reminder is that Hollywood is evil, but he's doing his own exploitative legacy. But he's also condemning it. Giselle's also destined to write in a character like Lady Fay, which I think is very important. We should earn a, a mystic lesbian singer straight out of Giselle's oriental gaze. Remind me, does she even speak a line? The character is as two-dimensional as the scene in Giselle forces to latch you up. And don't get me started on the ending. Ooh, that horrible, horrible ending. It's like the mosaic of Giselle's endless masturbation to his own dream ballet in La La Land. Fuck Giselle. Fuck Babylon. It's been a long time since some movie has made me this angry. If I had to, if I had to clinically look at a review and suggest that that person didn't see the film and didn't engage with it in critical thinking, that would personify it for me. And I say that with absolute peace and peace and love because this film is an utter indictment of the very things that he said, and, and, and or they have said, I don't want to give anyone who it perhaps is, but um, well, I follow him on the letterbox. I find them quite interesting. I think it's a really interesting review, a lot to, lot to take away from. I know I've just dived into that and, and, and to, to bet to, to you to just like oh <laughs> a bit of an overkill of it but that to me is like an indictment of the issue that this film has had where you I, I think I prepared myself to go into it with that attitude because I think you've got to be quite skilled to have these conversations about Hollywood because it's very multifaceted and very dynamic most of the things in there I could understand the perspective of but I don't think there's a further critical thinking and analysis of it I think that the the the, the, the coke vomiting and 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 stuff like that at the beginning is we're literally seeing the excess in the beginning. It's not this excess doesn't just happen in midway through and be like, oh, this is a story. This is excess even before these characters get into it. So they automatically know entering this industry is going to be a form of self-annihilation in one way or another. I mean, Chazelle sets it up just like that. You're not going to find anything surprising here. We're gonna we're gonna find what it's it's all there in the beginning. We're all gonna find out, we're all gonna be in this position, we're all gonna be in this house. With 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 young women, you know, suspiciously put 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 to the ground, bleeding to death, dying, drugs, overdose, um, incesting cases like sexual abuse, sexual assault, all the all these things, they're provided with us in the first fifteen minutes of the feature, even if not the first act. Like, I I don't know anyone going into that doesn't sort of even identify those notions that he's not condoning anything. He's highlighting it. This is this is the excess. And then we, these characters are so naive, they go into this world thinking that they're going to change anything, but they just want that buzz, they want to be known. I mean, it's haunting. But there was there's certain things about like um, uh, Lady Fair, which is actually based off an Asian actress. I can never remember her name. I've tried to find some features of her. Uh, is it, it, I, I don't, I think, it, is it something, I feel like it's something wrong. Um, I don't know. I will say I I don't remember her name. I know the day this was posting is actually the anniversary of her death, but I don't remember yes. off the top of my head. Um, oh my god, I can't remember her name. What's her name? One second. Um, it's based on Anna May Wong. Anna May Wong, yeah. So she, she was massive when in in certain things like, but she she did play a certain type of character. Yeah. But but also the film and analyzes her and, and showcases her and the object uh, the object on the object oh what's the word oh and so objectifies that character in the in the the, yeah. the ways that the industry is like the fact that it doesn't talk about her being 
uh, 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 well, at least gay or uh, lesbian. I, I don't know if the, the film can, uh, comments on that. And the fact that that, that Margot Robbie's character is, is, has a relationship with her, but also like those things weren't they, they were they're in the tabloids, but they weren't common knowledge. They weren't accepted. Like the, 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 even those times, like they were just like they weren't they weren't accepted. The fact that we, we, they, they have um, uh, a, a character where we watch all this explosion of like and these these characters you know, go into this world and have all this money and all this and we have a, a black actor um playing playing a trumpet and he goes to on a film set and they're like, You need to blacken up. He's like, excuse me? It's like you need to blacken up the camera. Like you can see that in one note and then you realise that Hollywood couldn't even couldn't, couldn't even be asked in a sense I know that's an hour reminder viewpoint of it, but couldn't even be in, in, in entitled to or incorporate black skin on, on screen. But with lenses, with lighting, there was what, why? Why do we do that? What, what's the, what's the point? I mean, that, that's haunting. It's horrifying. I mean, again, you have to read into that. But he's showing. And also, he only has a certain amount of time to do this. There's a lot to cover, a lot to cover, and he and he and he manages to give each sequences very small but very mighty powers of like, oh, that's that's grim. And then you think about it more, and you probably perhaps go away and read about it, and it's and it's it's horrible. I mean. The, the the Asian actress is based off. I mean, speaking about like was in was in a lot of like Charlie Chan movies and stuff like that, which is like predominantly uh, crafted as BC movies to Asian American, um, especially a lot of, a lot of Asian immigrants who would come over to learn English. That I mean, for him, it's like the Oppenheimer thing. If if he was to indulge in that, then it should really be its own film. But the fact that he has time to mention it and showcase that 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 people pay her. To be a mystic, essentially, to indulge in a in a fantasy that's not a reality, even out of out of camera, is also like an indictment of what the industry sees as her, even as a person. Even people out of the industry see her as this this um, uh, archetype Asian character. You know, if you if you had like a foreign sounding name, you should be like a savage in King Kong. That's what these people were like. I mean, you couldn't even have a a black character played by a black actor or actress. I mean, again, it's like an indictment of the system, but it's not—it's not a heavy-handed notion of it because I don't. A, I don't think he has the time to do it in this film. But also, once we start opening that conversation, then it become, becomes a conversation of well, you didn't give it enough screen time. I don't know if you agree with that. I, I feel like that's that just just having to cond- uh, condense this narrative is like a monster of, of narrative. But I, I find like that—that that yeah. was just a, a review of some perhaps a, 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 a one particular review where not really understanding what he was trying to do. And I think that's a predominant amount of audience who, who, who sort of realise that. I don't know if you agree, but I just read it and I, f- I keep on forgetting, forgetting to talk to you about it. But that to me is like the personification of what he's trying, he's having to deal with the fallout, which I think is not only unfair, but it's also quite suggestive to him as a, him as a person to suggest certain things, which I think is like, are we really going to go after Damien Chazelle for like stating it rather than the actual fucking atrocities that are occurring? Like that's madness to me, you know. That's an outrage yeah. culture. Like. I mean, look at I the, the I mean the whole conversation with La La Land. I think directly bleeds into this. I'll mm-hmm. say like just as a blanket statement, very valid. Whatever reaction you have to film, of course, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't want to say this, and I know you are too. I just want to say like very clearly, if you have this reaction, I, I'm not like criticizing the thought i don't see it and i agree with you a lot um and again that's what a lot of this film is talking about is like to live in this industry to have you know the dreams and this escape through the industry that these people have 
what are you willing to give up, right? And part of that is giving up to allowing, you know, this culture, even if you don't um, agree with it, having this Asian actress, this Asian woman play a certain role, even off camera, and accepting that and accepting some of that racism. Um, and throughout, there's things in here. And where it, I think it's just, I, I don't think Chazelle could have done anything to win in this sense and that's not to say like you know a certain type if he ignored it it would have been called out if he put it in like this it would have been i want more if he would have done more it would have said it wasn't his story to tell i don't think there was a win here i think for me and how i read it as someone who's outside of a lot of this i can only speak personally to the sexuality part of it i think it's done well i think it's in there enough to where it's acknowledged it's part of the film but again with a film of this size and it sounds weird to say but there's so much in here you have to use critical thought to put that together and you have to put critical thought to analyze what he's saying a lot of time though like i don't know the blackface sequence is like very on the nose i would say like that's very i don't know how you watch that and you don't get what he's trying to go with it Agreed. but maybe that's just me um i i do think that it's done overall though well um i i don't know i just think that yeah i i just don't i don't i, don't, I question if there was an avenue for him to win completely on that conversation but that's that's exactly what we spoke about the film in general though like he was going to be annihilated even by the context of it even how he made made it, it was always going to be sort of this self-indulgent aspect to it he was always going to get crit- criticized for it even if there wasn't sort of a notion of him putting his identity into it the only reason why i bring that that review up is because obviously we're, we're too quite fond of this film i think it, it was probably only, only fair to bring in a third party at least to to analyze but i also agree with you i think it's very interesting that take is very interesting very valid um, but it was also something that was so far removed from what we thought. I just had to have a conversation about it because I think there's a lot of interest there. Absolutely. The one thing there, though, I took took part, um, I, I said what, what the value of what we can actually ever talk about. There's one mention that further on, and then if you look at the um, if you look at the comments, uh, I think uh, um, uh, someone spoke about uh, the look of uh, it being a male fantasy, a male voyeuristic fantasy. I think someone commented on it. It was like, oh, I... I agree what you're looking at. As, I think the quote is, as a, as a, as a, as a woman, I'm, I'm really glad someone actually mentioned this. To, to have a conversation with you about this then, because we're, 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 we're both on that conversation, right? Do you think it does subscribe to a male fantasy voyeuristic look at things? Yes, but I think it's misguided how that sounds because I think the industry does as a whole and that's why it carries that. That's the critical that thinking. That's the critical thinking, yes. Well, Um, two full hats on, yeah. But it's true. Like, I think, like, there is a reason that women are portrayed in a certain way in this film and sexualized in a way that, like, he's tackling an industry that has that male gaze. Um, Yeah, I mean, and even then in the film, there's a bit about, like, um, a female director and then the connection that's found on screen with that and stuff like, like, there's a lot there i don't know I, I just feel like every single part of this film if you want to digest it and this is why i genuinely felt overwhelmed watching it and thinking we're gonna do this podcast is like every angle you want to poke at this film you yes. have to go through three hours of runtime yes and three hours <laughs> of context and historical context yeah, yeah and there's just so much here that it's like and that's why i think it's worthwhile to re-watch the film and think about the film and why it stays on my mind is like it's so rewarding to engage with because there's so much substance here i mean for three hours it, I mean, as you mentioned, it's not just like there's not wasted space, but there's truly just like it's not big enough almost like it's so impossible. The scale of what he's talking about. Um, I also want to mention from that review. I forgot to mention it. She mentioned the or they mentioned he mentioned. I don't know who this is. I don't follow them. Actually, I checked. Um, 
the opening sequence and the um what's like uh the tits the piss the yeah, yeah. You know, drugs and all that that comes back with the toby Maguire sequence and it's very clear and very obvious when you put those in conversation with each other uh also parallels to dante's inferno parallels to day of the locust just you know um references there but like there's a very important context there on how that party and that excess and that vileness if you want to say is viewed in the beginning versus how it's viewed after and you ask yourself, what has changed between to make this a fun, um, you know, exciting place where you're dancing on the floor. And it's kind of magical sequence, even though there's a lot happening. Obviously, yeah. there's death, there's drugs, overdose, assault. What makes it to where then at the end, it's this disturbing, haunting experience that's like traumatizing and disgusting and you want to run away and leave. Those are in conversation with each other. Again, every single sequence, I feel like you have to look at it from what the film as a whole, all three hours are saying Plus, then historical, con- it's just, it's so much. It's overwhelming, genuinely. Yeah, I, I and, and to just very briefly talk about the, the voyeuristic thing, I agree with you about. I think this this may come across like a, a male centric um, ego trip, but also it's an, again, the, 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 the characters who think they can change these actresses, they can, they think, like, they think they can change um, Margot Robbie's um, direction, like what she wants to do. There's all this male centric value about taking ownership of something or trying to give something direction by get, trying to to make them to, to cure them i think that's an, that's another secondary conversation to have here but i agree with you i think the 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 idea that it's it's a it's an ego trip is sort of this falsehood because it's just reinterpret well it's not even reinterpreting it's giving this indictment about the the the, the male vision of what is hollywood anywhere you know, there is a reason. Do you know how easy it would have been not to interrupt? But yeah. do you know how easy it would have been for him to create, for to have the same statement about where he is in Hollywood and Hollywood and whatever, and to create a film about a thirty-year-old living in Los Angeles in modern times as a director and make that like with ego? That would have been so fucking easy. Yeah, like that's so obvious. And the film he produces now is so removed from that. It's so removed from like what I would classify as like an ego trip on himself. He's literally giving light to like other people. He's going back to the roots of this industry. Yeah, like yeah. it's just, it's so it's, it's wild to me that people, and I don't know, maybe it's the confusion of like it's masturbatory or maybe it's a confusion that it's, you know, I think a close statement to what he's going through personally, but I, I don't get the ego thing. I, I just think like I, we've seen ego so much on screen and maybe yeah. it's because we just watch a lot of this shit. Um, again, I can't wait for you to watch Bo's Afraid not to mention every single episode. <laughs> yeah, we will do. But like we've seen ego on screen in so many forms and I think so clearly it's not this. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I, think, I, think I could even argue against that if I wanted to be devil's advocate. But it, again, like it, it, the, for me, even there's a, there's, a, there's a pause and reflection here. This is a, how talented is a filmmaker is that when he gets a sensual film on screen, if, it, if it's if it's a, a, a female-centric character or a, maybe a, a sexualized part, it's interesting that depending on how he edits the film, um, if it's pause and reflect, so that when we have the first sequence at the mansion, when we have the, uh, the mystic Asian archetype, let's say, and the film just slows down, slows down, and it makes us engage with it, makes us be in, twi- in, in twice like, just like the like she, she's as a character doing it to those, those those people around her, and then the film cuts away and we get to have this like masculine urge of like going in, into this this desert and then we have the, the snake and stuff. We we go from like a, a female centric sense sensuality where we 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 calm the, the film down and we have this an ego male um uh vit- this vitality thing where we then push on and be like crazy 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 
that's not like just accident. I mean, he, he reiterates it again when he when he does it again that that when Margot Robbie has like a screen test and she goes to and she's doing the at the bar, and we we like it's interesting how he how he he doesn't does he doesn't like craft that in like a seductive sexualized manner. He doesn't do it in a centralized manner either. He shoots it as to what it is as a job, and then it go as the other film reinterprets character and. And stuff like that later on down the line. It's quite interesting how you could just pause and reflect. But I agree with you. It's easy just to assassinate this film, but if you think about it, it's probably one of the hardest ways to go forward. I don't also want that that to be a get out of jail free card for him, and I don't both suggesting that. But neither is 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 to say that like well, you know, it's a master masturbatory um, event. I mean, he all. There's the one thing I mentioned before, and I said about that there was going to be rumors about him actually personifying real people if it was Chaplin. Right, I think it's more beneficial he doesn't do that because I think people walk away from this and understand it's based on real people, but also it doesn't bring those real people and real families and legacies in disrepute. Um, you could argue for right or for wrong. I, I, I'm not there to, to 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 clarify that or whatever. People do their own research on people from that era. You know, there's a lot of um, murky murky waters and a lot of situations that are even happening now. But going back to that point, the fact that he doesn't put names on it. But clearly references issues if it's if it's Fatty Arbuckle in the opening, which is ever so apparent, um, and then you have the Chaplin thing, which you have the gangster, which more so is more sort of a an indictment of someone else, which um, which is is it Lenske, which I think it is, who put loads of money in Hollywood and then went to Cuba and so forth, so so on. So there's all muddled. What nobody has uh, clean hands here whatsoever. They're all even from the moment they are they are all members. Of being in this guilty by association, because not one of them go into it wanting to change. They all go with ego. They all cheat on each other. They all they all they'll do horrifying horrifying things if it's excess drug, um, sexual etc. So and then it becomes an economic issue towards the end. You know, he, he presents everybody as is, and he doesn't sort of damn them. He just presents, and I quite like that level headedness. I don't think he guilts anyone in here at all, and he very much could do. He could annihilate some people. You know, perhaps those people who ask the trumpet player put on the blackface, they've been told to do that by producers. They might not necessarily understand how to do the lighting because they're paid there to do it on minimal wage. I think that's an interesting conversation to have. But I do agree, like, the fact that he chooses for that character to be like, stick stick your job up your ass, I'm off. And he goes to play in a community where he feels loved, appreciated. I mean, like, if the guy didn't give a shit, would he even do that? Like, I mean, Giselle at this point, there's obviously a, 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 an emotional connection to this story about if he's going to showcase something, he does it with a with a poignancy, an actual reasoning. So I, 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 I don't I don't subscribe to that that theory of it being a massive a I can't I don't want to say that anymore. An ego egocentric um, exploit at all. Um, it's it's interesting because he does touch on some really really t- tough themes here, and then. You could say skirts over. You could see that contextually as the as a Hollywood movement just con- consistently and outrageously going on a trajectory without slowing down. I mean, you can say that about the character's internal struggles, especially with drug and alcohol abuse. So you can say that's reinferred subconsciously within the filmmaking. I think Chazelle's probably a genius to do that, unless if you didn't want to put much cop into that, whatever. Um, but he, he is relentlessly fashioned in showcasing certain 
arcs and elements that are brutal. I mean, the, the Brad Pitt one where he goes into the, the, the room and, you know, he meets up with, 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 with the, 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 the mystic one time. And again, he slows the film down. He gives a humanity. That sequence is where Brad Pitt is pulled out of the scenario. Caesar is probably the first time as a human being. And it's going to be the last time. And he goes upstairs. He's based on uh, the uh, the shooting of the the Superman character, the guy. I can't remember his name. Should have done a bit more fact checking here. But I know that um, Ben Affleck paid him in Hollywoodland. He shot himself in the head, and then the fibers came out, and perhaps he didn't. And there's there's there's, there's subscribing to to the old Hollywood lore as well, which I think is genius. I know I'm rambling here, but it all, I tried to make it make sense. But I also think that he's doing the thing where he is having a conversation on Hollywood um, realities that, that have been in the social gathering, Fatty Arbor, I call Chaplin. Um, you, you know, you've got uh, Lensky, the, the gangster, based on the Tobey Maguire thing. You, you have all that substance, and then you have the more urban legend, urban myth type of um, indulgement in it. So the questioning then, which I think makes murky that no one has a conversation, is what we see in reality. Because he wants to have an intertwined construct with reality, but he doesn't want to necessarily put his finger over it and press the button and be like, this is or isn't. I think that adds another texture to this because we ultimately make these stories as we see fit. We ultimately, Hollywood romanticizes legend. I think that's something to also have a conversation about. I don't know if we're probably willing to do that here. But I also think that's quite an apparent contextual message that people just overlooked is that but because Hollywood tells you a certain thing that you believe that to be the case of social culture, the construct of how, I mean, uh, I don't know. Again, it's like the, the sequence. Which goes back to singing in the rain, even in the film, kind of, if you want to look at that and how it's yeah. representing characters. It's definitely yeah. there. But I, you know, I also, you know, you can look back on certain things and, and, and look at it and be like, well, you know, nobody just really just, goes off in the night, do they? No one just disappears on a road and disappears in this romanticised burning at both ends right. and then ends up dead two years later with an overdose and stuff like that. There's definitely romanticization that he brings back to it, which, again, you could then say that these parties, were they, were they this loud and proud? I probably would suggest they were so, but he does it in a way that you could then allude to that's a perception that we have of those times. I don't know. I, I, I think there's levels there. There's levels there. I agree. I mean, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid too, buddy. <laughs> you know, I oh, think it's absolutely yeah. there. Again, looking at the perspective of the two yeah. different parties in the film, like, I think it's all there. Um, it's about growing up and seeing reality and seeing, like, um, well, arguably, though, also not seeing, like, it's it's absolutely there. It is undeniably, like, a film, and I think that is walked well. Um, and I think it's also worthwhile to talk about, like, just bring light to like the fates of all the characters who stayed in the system and tried to push through. And a lot of them ended up very tragically. It's the ones who got out that ended up having these long prosperous lives. You could say, yeah. Um, Jean smart is incredible in the film. Um, we haven't really mentioned her too much, but I think her scene with Brad Pitt is like incredible. It adds oh, just another thought, layer. Yeah, I thought it was, um, to it. I thought it was fucking Annette Benning. Yeah. Sorry. Oh my God. Eric Roberts was in. No, it's good. Yeah. We haven't mentioned. Yeah. I, I agree that there's, there's, it's interesting because that that character is specifically told to be about writing essentially fan fiction for the for the audiences, and then she's almost like yeah. the most common courtesy ever kind of tell people the truth, which is like an, an oxymoron. Yeah. And it's again, it, it's very interesting. It, it, you, it, the way that you devise that about the people who stayed in the system, 
who wanted to change it ultimately become self-destructive and then people who actually leave that have a, a filler life it, it's almost that addictive um, drug of the system itself isn't it so it's, it's a drug in itself where yeah. to get into that which again plays on the layers about brad brad pitt t- t- taking the stance he does with it with, with a certain choice he makes about removing yeah. oneself uh, makes it so more so poignant because that addiction is such a high it, it is it's a it's yeah. it's you know to, to, to be brought back down to earth is, is something you know devastating i do well, what does hollywood offer you it offers babylon it offers like all these people as you mentioned are running from something mm-hmm. nelly Leroy is a perfect like really open explicit example of it and what babylon or what sorry hollywood is offering is an escape from that and a high you know the party it's offering the life it's offering you know a way forward and does it really present that or not because of what the system is you know it's yeah. all there yeah and i think it's also interesting that you 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 the way the way he, he puts these three characters are very interesting but the, the one that nobody seems to want to talk about is obviously the the diego calva uh character which i think like the fact that nobody's like sort of suggesting that like a film of this magnitude could carry a, an actor of of a of a, of a, of a let's say a minority is not principally white and also is a, is a somewhat un, unknown uh, character he actually rests a significant amount of this film on that that man's shoulders to a point where you just sort of wait for it to fall apart because you think I'm not no I don't know anything about this I don't know anything about this 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 actor this is quite a seismic emotional gargantuan feature to sort of um, assess how how is he going to do it and he's actually sublime uh, absolutely sublime the, the, he brings sort of this frantic nature to this film where he ultimately plays the audience eyes and ears and that you become embroiled in this narrative to a point where you actually start agreeing with the choices he makes because you get inducted into this ex, ex, expose of the drug anyway you want him to succeed which is like you want to I think essentially because you see everything from his point of view as well, also from, from the the notion of what the film's about, for him to then make certain decisions of trying to save Nelly, a Magarob's character, he's like, he's even more so just a bit burning, he burns away, it's quite quite grim, it feels like that, that, that final solution of like trying to get that money, which I think is sort of like this gimmicky way to, to end the film in a way, but what, what a genuinely quite fun <coughs> assessment about there's the, everyone making millions of dollars and then nobody having any money, which is how all these people eventually end up. But it's interesting to to have a conversation about him specifically because going back to the issue we had about the the, the black character with the black face, I do feel perhaps Chazelle doesn't give a give a great deal of um, narrative to that character because essentially he actually does so with the with with the character of Manny Torres in a way that you know you, you you want to see someone strive with a different accent in a very much white centric industry to find a formula of success and sort of fall into it and c- try to keep that and then it's, it's interesting because no one really judges him for, for his for his race or or, or or anything like that and how he sounds he's sort of indulged into it because he, he gets the movies and then you see probably at the time he's there at Hollywood at the end which again, there's nobody's making these assumptions at all, which is devastating. The time he actually falls back in love with it is probably the time where he can't enter that conversation again because of the race and the way he speaks. You have the the the, the, the fury of of the uh, McCarthyism's probably just starting, 
Oh, it's, it's it's in its in its gulf. You have the John Wayne um, influence in things. Uh, I mean, that's devastating to know. Like that, as soon as he finds that maybe a heartbeat back, it's that that, that opportunity for his child is gone. Will not have, and it's lucky he got in the first yeah. place. In the first place, he's not allowed in. He's very specifically told you're where you belong. I think that's a very telling line. And then he gets this opportunity with Brad Pitt to get in and like sneak his way in. Um, it's all absolutely there. I think like again, it's just like with a time and also what his character represents. It's not necessarily his character where race plays an absolute factor in it, and you could go deeper in it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It does though, because also like as he gets there, right, he has to sell a lot of his morals and a lot of his like. Um, I don't know, friends out, I guess you could say, to, like, maintain that position and carry that weight on his shoulders. I don't know. I think it's there still. I definitely think it's, like, an effective character. Yeah. yeah. I, I would also say as well that it also pushes back to the conversation we had earlier, earlier sorry, about that you can see it in, in a one-note style of just someone going from rags to riches, but there is a substance there be, to behold it and to sort of just push it a bit higher up. I mean, it, it's interesting. The, the the only sort of ne- negatives I have about it is that when he brings third parties into this, because I do feel that he, t- he begins to write people a certain way and he takes them to a point and after Brad Pitt's character shoots himself, which I think is, is a generally a really good scene as well, just to go upstairs, say bye to like his fifth wife and then like to end that is just devastating to know, um, you know, it's just horrible to watch, to have the sound and everybody just like sits there and it's just like, quietly goes no one screams as if people were expecting it to happen which is again this also this horrifying subconscious uh, notion about yeah he's, he's not he's not he's not beginning it's not it's not Hedy Lamar you know it's not Chaplin he's not, not Buster Keaton he's at his death I mean that's just brutal and the fact that we get to that point I think there is an issue there with narrative in that just be, just via convention relay that we know it's only going to go one way you know, because we know how that story goes. Um, and I think how he does it, he doesn't really do anything different. But I also have come, and at the first I was like, ah, oh, this is not really elevating it. We're sort of, you know, he's chasing the, the girl. He's never going to get the girl. The girl's going to go and, and just, like, you know, lay in bed with the demons, uh, which is drugs and alcohol, not anything else. Um, and then that's it. She, she gets lost to that, and he gets he gets his heart broken and falls away. I sort of, but it, was, it was an eventuality that was always going to occur. But... The way you watch it, he was probably best to do that in the fact that, because that's how it is, to undermine those stories and give maybe like hit them being a bigger producer or getting a big hit, probably would undermine the whole scenario of being eaten up by this industry, you know. And the fact that he's cast Eric Roberts in this also pushes to that as well about someone who was like massive in the 80s, like literally was. The next Brad Pitt, if anyone's seen Star 8, the Bob Fosse film we did on Gems, he literally sounds like Brad Pitt in that film as well. He's a, he's exactly it. He's dashing. He's very well. He's, he's a very intricate type of performer. He's very immersive. He has this weird type of charisma. And you see Brad Pitt, and he's not commercially attractive any, of any, any means, but he has a charismatic charisma, and he's built on stoicism. And you look at Eric Roberts being Nelly's father near, trying to get, like, you want to be, you know, someone who's grappling with it. I think that's also a conversation about being eaten up and chewed out. So there's a lot of levels here to work at, a lot of levels. But for me, I think that the only way he could probably f- finish this film is an, is, is an eventual inevitability because that is the system. There's no beating the system, is there? So I appreciate the fact that it's 
Crap, this is going to sound like a really backhanded compliment, and I don't mean it as such, but I quite like the approach of the halfway through narrative where it becomes one note. Because I don't, I don't know. I think he undermines a lot by just, oh, we're going to do something different. That tragedy of it is that we know how this is going to end, and we're there with them in the highlight, and we're there with them in the in the pain and suffering. I think that's what makes this so much more immersive because, you know, we know this story. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the poignancy is there. I think like um, it's predictable to a point but i think it works with the feature it's come with and with the overall message i don't really know how you do it otherwise just want to mention with eric roberts complete side point um how did he make 32 films in or act in 32 films in 2021 that's like pretty insane to go through his filmography do you know like how um, um just throwing out there. yeah do you know like how bruce willis has in the fact that he's on set sure. he's on set for like three days for a million dollars i think i think it's a lot less than that for for about five days it was the same as I think sure. he's he's not because him and Tom Berenger are very similar in that like in the eighties, like Platoon Star Eighter, these people were like really charismatic actors, and they were a certain visualization of what um, attractiveness. I mean, if you watch someone someone watch over me, the Ridley Scott film, which I think is nineteen eighty eight, like Tom Berenger plays a lead in it, the very leading man. But they they were a Mickey Rock before his time. I mean, this is just education. I'm not. I don't. don't I don't. I want like mansplain or anything. But just just for contextual, sure. I think they were very leading, very archetype leading men, of like very much like the the gruff Hollywood actors of the fifties and sixties, like the Humphrey Bogarts. And then we get to the the nineties and things change. It's a Brad Pitt, it's a Johnny Depp, and they were left to just be put to one side. And because they would we were taken out of uh, probably I would say taken out of the cultural mold of, 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 of projection of what is a, a cinema icon or a, an actor in, in, in that projection of 90s and especially 20, 2000s and 2010s, you, re, you see them 30, 30, 40 years later and they're old. And that's sort of the heartbreaking nature it reinforces back into this film. So I, I, I quite I, I see the fact that he, why he's cast Eric Roberts. And Eric Roberts, he's given the material, still got it. He's actually wonderfully whimsical in here. And but he he wonderfully levels the idea between really annoying, like insufferable, trying to step on your daughter's um, kingdom, but also someone who like if like has got the opportunity, take it. He's doing yep. no nothing different, right? Then this is this is I wanted to bring this up later, but it was only like a little small point. He actually does nothing different in the in the in the projection of his character than Manny does. He meets someone at a party and wants to get involved. Yeah. But yet we sort of look at that and objectify him for doing so, which is interesting because if I, if I, and this is not to bring anything up here, but if I had to think so, I would probably, because it was an age thing. And I think it's, yeah. it's I think it's also, re, um, and the one reason as well is I watched Sunset Boulevard after this. I watched it for in November for my noir series. And I'm so fucking glad I did because it gives so much more added context of the starlet about like Cecil DeMille, this person being an actress in her films and they invite her to on set and she, she feels a limelight because she's old. People just like, there you go. And it just killed yeah. these people who were like starlets and these people who were, were engaged with looks but weren't given the ideal of talent. So there's a lot here, but I also think that there's a, there's a conversation about that is that we we look at him as a character and be like, well, you know, he's like this old guy, like, oh, he's a dad, like, get away. He's just doing the same thing anyone else does. He's looking for a, for a book and looking for a way in. But it's just very, yeah. very interesting how we identify that compared to Manny's character. 
but that's just just a it is throwaway. also be- before we move too on from it i do want to mention like I think out of every crime that's come from Babylon's reception and reaction to the film and what it's led to, Chazelle's going to be fine. Margot Robbie's going to be fine. All these people are going to be fine. Diego Calva getting nothing from after this, getting supporting roles in very small productions. His biggest role is probably very supporting in Bird Box Barcelona or Bird Box, whatever I said. I definitely like it says something, right? Like I think the fact that he carries this film with the amount of weight he has on his shoulders, the amount of presence he has in a film like this, surrounded by these people, and he is stunning in this film with his range of emotions. I think he is absolutely phenomenal here. Um, the fact that he's just seemingly disappeared in and out, um, I think is quite tragic. I know we've talked about some tragic performers in the past and who just never seem to like get that momentum. But, I mean, hopefully something comes up. But so far, it seems like he really has very little momentum coming out of this. I agree with you. And the the bitter, and I, and I say this with absolutely no irony, I say this in deadpan and, and almost slight devastation, there is a bitter irony that he's in, he's, he's in like, echoing the, the same thing as his character in this film. Which sort of brings a secondary level... A, 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 I mean that is that. I mean that's not his fault. We had this conversation on Gran Turismo, which is wild that we brought Neil Blomkamp into this twice. Me, me and you both. But we had the same thing about the lead, played by Archie. Um, is it? I can't remember. Is it Madikewe or Madeque or something? Um, he, yeah, we we he's a, he's the star, and and we were both like because the the um the the sag was on and he couldn't he couldn't get his moment as a lead. Which I thought was genuinely quite brutal because I know he's been in small stuff, but he's never been a leader, something like that. And it was quite devastating that you know we, we have something going on to support them, uh, and yet we're taking stuff away, which I think is an interesting balance between you know being a part of something and going for the greater good, which I think is very much a, a, an echo of a sentiment in, in Babylon as well about being. We're all, they're all a part of something far bigger than they ever actually know until we find out at the end. And it's only until you get to the end, if that's a metaphorical thing, if that's a figurative thing, or is it a literal thing, where we find the, the appreciation of, of the smaller things. But I'm glad that we got to see, he, got, he got his moment in Saltburn anyway. At least he's pretty good in that as well. I quite liked him. And he's in Bowie's Afraid, so I'll have to watch it now. But yeah, I agree with you. That That's the devastating part of something like this where, I mean, there's a, there's, there's a bitter irony with that conversation you brought up there, isn't there? Like the big hit this is going to set and it just hasn't done anything i mean yeah i didn't really see that and no one cares yeah no one no one cares about it right like there's no again because people just move on and then like it's true like the soul of babylon is so like authentic in so many ways and like a million ways you could probably Mm -hmm. say but like it just with time reinforces itself more and more as speaking an authentic truth about the industry about humanity about a million different like areas well what's it really just keeps like again babylon keeps getting better the more time passes the more i think about it the more i yeah. reflect on it i mean it's all it, it's really impressive yeah it's, it's but it's that horrible circular or secular yeah. sorry irony of we're repeating the same things we're doing that like like it, it, the, the issues that babylon is having now is 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 <laughs> literally identifying an age excuse me an age of stuff that happened that the actually film is contextual about i'll tell you another thing as well i also feel that th- this is 
I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel like I see this a lot in society. If if somebody gives something pleasure, if it's a football team, if it's a soccer team, if it's a if it's a superstar, if it's a company, and they've given joy to someone, but in actual fact they've done horrible things, it's very difficult to not educate but reason with that person who has found an emotional attachment to something that has given them joy. And I think you can become very defensive. Fairly so, I think that's fair enough. If you if you if you want to predict something, if you have an idolization of something. And you know, we're having this conversation in the last few years about filmmakers and things that are happening, of what have happened that are coming to light. And we're having to recontextualize a lot of things that have been said, done, acted in and out of, of camera. You know, it's very hard for me as as a fifth element fan to watch that film and separate myself. And I know that's a conversation that's a higher one. We won't go into that. But I think the conversation is still apparent here in that it's very difficult to separate entertainment and idolization and also remnants of someone else's pain. You know, you watch you watch something like The Deer Hunter and you watch that film and it's amazing. And John Cazale was dying during it, dying from cancer. That's a difficult relation to have with something that's meant to like entertain you and you find an emotional attachment with it. And there's also stuff like the Chadwick Boseman thing is difficult because to be to to be entertained by it for him to sort of like having to go through chemotherapy and make a film for fans of entertainment and we we slop it up like cheap shit and throw it away is a very difficult relationship to have. This heightens that conversation for me to a to an issue of tenfold where. This is not talking about people as it, as it is. It does talk about certain people within an industry, but it assesses the industry on a whole. And I think a lot of people reject the ideology of being like, "Hang on a second, but you've got you've got where you are today making this film about the people like that. So who are you to make comments like that?" And I think we're all leveled to be to to have made those accusations against people. I think I have in the past. What give, what gives them right to do that because the the, the you know the, the profiting on it so and so so on and so forth, I think we've all been in that situation. I do think that has a massive amount of context within this film about audiences, as well as critics being like, well, we all know that you might fucking know it, but you don't talk about it because you published an article today about why Bob Iger is doing really well and fifty things that we love about movies after what after the bad year we've had, like how fucking dare these trades do that you know the hollywood reporter doing it how dare they make variety and like making ai um articles when writers are on are on the, not going to walk over the the line because the the unions that they're not working in conjunction with the hollywood system like how dare they do that to make to be judged you're an executioner and in the same token they'll be like well you know Chazelle makes the same sort of conversations as we've we've known they're apparent in Hollywood. Yeah, and nothing has changed. Perhaps that's the precedent here that people have missed. And again, I think it's that justification where people don't want to have that conversation because once you once you have to be like once you have to read about Woody Allen or Roman Polanski or Lou Besson or or all sorts of these people you then have to relinquish an aspect of why you should enjoy those films. And it's very difficult, you know. I, I, I have a very difficult relationship with that because for me, the last few years, and this is going to be like quite sadistic, but 
I think this 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 system is a cesspool. I really I really do, and I th- and I think that it, it, I'll I'll judge those films if I want to watch them or not. I don't condone anybody in that system whatsoever, and I mean anybody, because you, you, what you hear about it is just utterly horrifying about everything. Like 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 I I don't I don't like we don't even have to go, but we all know what goes on. Like we all know about sexual abuse. We know about misconduct. The Harvey Weinstein thing, like these people say, oh, we knew about it, but we didn't. Want... Like, I'm sorry. If I knew that was happening at work and I knew I was going to lose my job about it, I'd lose my fucking job. I, I could I could not go to sleep at night knowing I had a million dollars in my pocket, but someone was literally in a, in a, in a suicidal emotional distress for the rest of their life. Like, uh, th- this has been going on for years and years and years, and the film ex- exemplifies that to a degree where it's, it's very difficult for people to acknowledge those two notions. Um but I do think it does. It doesn't just question audiences, Carson. I think this questions critical analysis as well, because if you have to, if you have to engage with this, you have to then engage with what you like. You know, Chaplin is a revered um, cinematic icon, right? Look at his dating history, and people will go, "What well, it was at the time?" <laughs> right? Okay. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. To me, to me there's, there's, there's a critical um, embellishment there that people don't want to have a conversation about because once we have those critical conversations, I think this industry implodes. And the, the irony about Babylon itself, to get back to it, I know I've gone on there. I do apologise for, for listeners. Um, but the irony of Babylon is that after this scenario that happened, it completely changed with the Hayes Code came in. They wouldn't show sex. They wouldn't show any any amount of sensuality, which restricted female characters to be femme fatales, the males to be the rescuers, it totally changed the dynamics of what then the next generations would see. And the issue with that is that before the Hayes Code, most of those films in the Warner Brothers and 20th century lot, then all were just lost time or burnt down in fires. So before it, where where we've got pre-Hayes Code and pre-Code, is that those films are lost. And the conscious um, uh, viewings are a certain um, governmental and also a social uh, construct about what a woman should be and what a man should be, which I think is equally as dangerous. And the fact that people look at that and don't want to analyse that conversation either is also a dismay of what this film is also trying to say. Nothing changed. Yes, the debauchery changed, but it wasn't, it wasn't in, the, in the houses, it was in people's apartments. Uh, mass amounts of cocaine weren't, weren't bought by the studio to appease its the asses or drink. But they were they were paid a massive amount of wages to do it themselves. The audio, the the the, the MGMs, the the Warner Brothers detached themselves from that, but left their left their um, actors and actresses to to maintain in in a, in a relationship with that horrible environment, while also keeping themselves razor clean. What do you think is just absolutely disgusting? And that I, I, that's probably a percentage. While like you look at James Cagney with with the with his contract at like Warner Brothers and stuff. He was like, you're making too much money off me. Give me the money. I'm not going to work for you. I just went and went over away, and they made no money off him. It's gone gone above and beyond that with the money now, and I think this film is a perfect indication of, like, nothing nothing has really changed. And I do think, going back to the point about the the, the modern day now, I I, I sort of have to agree with the statement I'm making, which is obviously wouldn't be a fucking oxymoron in itself, but I do think there's there's a lack of critical thinking because once we have that conversation, I don't know how deep that conversation goes because that goes all the way back to the MPAA. It goes back to the theatre owners saying, we don't want to make this film because of that. We go back to sexualization on screen. It cuts so deep to, into a wound 
that I, I think you get past bone there. I think it goes to something else. So I, I think that's a more critical analysis of why this film is just like, well, ugh. and the easy way to say it is it's three hours. I'm not watching it. And that's such a, a dismal thing because I think there's such a rich conversation to be had here. I do apologize for going on again. I just think it's very important though because no, right. nobody wants to have those yeah. conversations. And it needs to be had. I mean, I think like as critics, even just like our, our silly little podcast here, like I think we need to like as individuals come to terms with like the industries we're supporting, the industries we're talking about. And the ironic thing is that if you ask a lot of these people who probably wouldn't engage with the film on thesis, on conceptually, they would say that's important to do. And that's something that needs to be done. And that's something they probably pride themselves in doing, not to character assassinate anyone and not to, you know, again, if you hate, hate the film, hate it, mm-hmm. I don't really care. But like, and valid. I'm sure there's a lot of people who hate it for very good reasons. I'm not trying to say everyone's like that. But I think that that is what this film is holding. That is what Chazelle is actively trying to do. Um, I think it's just, it's wildly important to do that. You know, I'll never forget there was a time we were recording on Uncut Gems. We were recording solo a Star Wars story, an episode, and I had like a midlife crisis mid-episode because I was like, We've we're talking about, we just, of course, of course we took the conversation to be like, Disney's disgusting. And I was like, well, then if it's disgusting, like, why the fuck are we talking about it? Like, why are we like doing this on Clappercast? Why are we doing this on Uncut Gems? And for a while there, we didn't cover any Disney films because I was like, why do this? Like, I think you have to wrestle with these in this industry from back, even past like the Woody Allens and that, which is a huge, you know, conversation. Yeah, itself. appreciate. It. I like, do apologize. This is the that, yeah. root of the industry. No, it's there. This is like an industry. Quite literally, Los Angeles is built on a tar pit. In that tar pit is literally like bodies and skeletons and flesh and blood of everything that built to this point. It goes to the root of that, to where you can't remove the film industry in any sense from these skeletons in the closet. And I think to engage with the film industry, to understand the film industry, to say you love the film industry, there's that great line from Last Black Man in San Francisco, that's to say to love it you or to hate it, you have to love it. Mm-hmm. And we love this, but I think we also have to understand within that the industry that we're supporting, the industry we're talking about, and also come to terms with that hatred for a lot of the aspects for it and not blindly separate them. We're not blindly ignore one or play ignorant. You have to accept both those facts. Um, and I think that's a really hard thing to do, a very complex task, very big. And I don't know if I can think of another piece of media in general that has that conversation, pushes that conversation as much or as well or as poignantly as Babylon. I think that's just like, I don't know, as a fan of film, I think if you're a fan of film, if you truly love cinema and you truly give this the time of day, I don't really know how you feel nothing from or how you turn away not having that conversation. Um, Again, just that ending montage, like, not to go back to it, but like, that's why it's so bold, I think. And that's why I was so excited for you to see this and see, you know, like, um, but even just like the Matrix genuinely, like, it's it's a very bold way to hold those films because it holds it with that weight. um, And it asks you to reanalyze that. And it's just, I don't know, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, I, I've not to to jump the gun here. I have the relationship with film now, where I think I've evolved in a sense that once those films get released, they're mine. Now I will judge those films on mine own merit, and regardless of who have made those films, I'll 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 I will take that on board with the education I have, and I will review those films with the knowledge of that action. So, for example, if we 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 both had these massive conversations about David Orosso. Um, I'm not going to co- comment on anything because there's, there's going to be a lot of stuff that co- I'm sure will come out in the future. But we've wrestled with this idea of this person has made very influential films within the zeitgeist recently. 
but is also a horrible human being by his own testimony. Now, we both had a conversation about what we would do about Amsterdam. And, and it's ultimately like Babylon is that people will go like, well, don't be a part of it then. But if you're not a part of it, there's nothing you can actually change. And I feel that's such a reductive conversation to have when people go like, because like, we've, we've wrestled with Disney as well about, and I think we're fucking so on the ball with Disney that they've shown me nothing to suggest otherwise. Um, but I just won't go see those films. Like I've, I've seen Wish, because my grandma wanted to go watch it. And then like, I don't give a shit. Like, I don't pay for Disney Plus. I don't, I don't need to go that far. If there's other ways to, to watch those films, I, I, might, I might take that option with, with the economic crisis, crisis as it is. But, but, but going back to the point, like Babylon, like, there's a lot of people out there who will go like, will, will judge these characters and be like, well, they got involved into it. Well, yeah, but that's the culture that's there to, to predate it. These people, you can say, go in there with, with particularly predisposed opinions of certain things. But ultimately, they get engaged and indulged in, in debauchery that's already pre, pre-existing their, their narratives in this film, which I think, again, is so important. But very much like us, with the, the Amsterdam thing, we both had the conversation about it. But if you don't review it and you don't talk about it, talk about the film, to me, I, I feel like we're doing a massive disservice to those people who are actually like need to have a certain opinion about that. And what I'll do from now forward, if I want to go watch... I would yell on from a Roman Polanski film, a David or Russell film. If I'm going to watch Dogman, a Luke Besson film, you'll be sure as shit that I'll, that I'll quote something in that film and I'll make sure of anyone who gets on the review that I'll review the film and I'll most definitely have a, have a, have a, 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 a comment to make about certain other things about stuff because it should be apparent. And again, it's interesting that we've, we seem to have a, a, um, this cancel culture movement, which I think is interesting to this film in the fact that and, and, it, and I'm going to make a reach here, but in a similar way that we do it in a cultural issue, we also don't want to do any more critical thinking on a film. Because I think, because we look at film as, as being something that's that's a Disneyfied notion of lack of critical thinking. So when we cancel someone, let's say, I feel like there's, 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 a, there, there's an act that's happened if it's, if it's a, a heinous one, which obviously there's, there's, there's levels to it. I'm not going to condone anyone who's done horrific abuse to anyone. But I think like, James Gunn's an interesting one, making comments on Twitter. He was like, oh, we'll cancel him. I think you have to ask the question of why, why we thought in the culture at the time that was appropriate to say those things. Why are we not self-identifying issues and, and trying to, uh, to identify things to improve? We do this thing where we want to just cut things out and forget about it. And Babylon highlights those very notions of a society that hasn't changed in, in the idea of that, well, there was horrible things that happened. Those things have probably got a lot worse, but in closed circuits. I mean, Soderbergh's a girlfriend experience is one. There's there's all sorts of films that I, she said that the the the, the thing with uh, Carrie Mulligan, Rose Byrne, like the, these are not sorry, Rose Byrne, Zoe, um, I can't remember her name, Paul Dano's wife. Uh, but you know that these 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 conversations that we're we needing to have, and we we put them on film and we talk about them. But the the things are replicating. We're we're not we're not identifying why we feel these are accessible. Why do we look at an actor, an actress who wants to be as famous as they are, which will do anything for a role, and yet a man will take advantage of it? We need to look at why that, that, that man is in the position to take advantage in the first place. But identify that why is the Hollywood system of being a, 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 an actress and an actor to the point where it's, you, you, will do, you, you, will be, you'll be, you will actively do or then you'll be forced to do horrible things. But nobody wants to question that. It's like, well, he's a bad person or she's a bad person. And this is more so cancel culture as well, like on Twitter, as I said. But 
you know why why <laughs> there's a film that came out and it didn't come out here it's come out in january right and it stars paul giamatti i'm not going to name the film if i'm not mistaken that director was accused of doing something absolutely heinous to, to a certain woman and nobody wants to have a conversation about it because it's the academy award and i feel it's the same way with babylon in that once you have something in front of your face that's all well and good in the in the beginning of the film and, and it's in its second act you, you will negate and 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 dis deep dispose of any form of of empathy or morality but when that turn that that tide starts to turn sorry and it wants to question you it you can either go with it and and try follow some things and be like oh right okay this is interesting or just completely denounce it now i think it's easier to denounce it because then you don't have to have these moral questions which goes back to i know i'm rambling here i'm sorry Play the Lord of the Rings movie music like Jacob does, but I also think that's that's a, a massive conversation about Chazelle's filmography. You can either walk with me on this path and have a have a quite serious conversation about us as people, us as an industry, or you can you can not watch it, condone not not condone it, and just absolutely just push back. Now, whichever that you want to do, that like, there's levels on it, but I do feel like he personifies that, and and the ramifications to for for this are. Again, because it's a Hollywood com conversation, I think it engages everything. I don't know. There's a lot to unpack there. I do apologize for just like spitting absolute loads of shit at you, but uh, I just there's a lot in Babylon that about the like you say critical yeah. thinking. You know, I mean, uh, I mean, even in Babylon, in our conversation today, we've mentioned Brad Pitt a lot. He has allegations <sighs> against him of abuse. We can go back to this year, the killer. Absolutely no one cared that Michael Fassbender was in that position when he has allegations against him. I mean, again, like, it's so... The issues are not... It's easy to look at issues and want to minimize them or say, like, oh, they're categorized in this little area. But, like, it's so widespread and it's so big in so many different ways. I'm not just talking about sexual abuse, but just so much here. Yeah. Even going back to, I mean, like... Think about how people talk about, and we're shift, I'm to be clear, shifting gears here, but like, um, think about how people talk about Kubrick and like The Shining, yeah. and like the trauma that was on the set and the trauma that Kubrick, like it, it's so widespread and it's so complex because we don't want to say, you know, we love the results of these things that are very harrowing and very traumatizing. And again, this is all at the heart of Babylon. It's all within the film, so it's all relevant, but like, it's all there and that's what the ending of babylon is and that's what damien giselle is doing is he's trying to wrestle with how do you love this while you hate it and it's just it's well it's impossibly big yeah. it's, you know similar to the narrative babylon it's just an impossibly big conversation to have and everyone is going to have their own personal journey and it evolves i mean it's interesting you mentioned our conversations around amsterdam around um clapper's direction with things like woody allen around Clappercast, you know, um, there was a time where we had people on Clappercast who wanted to do a Woody Allen film, and um, you know, we had a lot of conversations around that. Like, it's interesting because these are always evolving with our mindset of how we deal with this and how we adjust this and how do we um, contend with this. You know, I mentioned my Disney situation this past year. I reviewed every single Disney film, right? So, like, the mindset always changes, and it's just, it's just it's it's a very big conversation i guess is yeah. what i'm trying to say but just to defend yourself there right is that i don't think you should you should nullify that that you have an opinion and don't think that you're being oxymoronic sure you've been counter you've been like um what's the word um oh god i'm, I'm so like focused on just being like emotion now but you're <laughs> being uh, a hypocrite I, I don't see it as that i see it as that 
you could, yeah, no. you could, I think it within within Hollywood, right? That you're, you're they're allowed their cake and they can eat it. I also think as an audience, you should be able to do that as well. If you if there's a filmmaker that's horrible out there and you want to watch those films, those films are separated as soon as that person releases that film. Yes, it's there. Right. You can you can identify and you can view at a point that, but also you can't forget it. You can't forget it. You can you can you can identify it, but you yeah, I think you can, you, you can separate to a point. But even if you like it, say if you went to go, if I went to go watch Fifth Element, I was like, I'd never seen like five stars, and I was like, oh, actually, Luke Besson cheating on his wife with with like a sixteen year old or seventeen eighteen year old Bela Jovovich in that film. I'd I would you'd have to you have to educate yourself now, and I think in such a digitalized world, there's no reason not to educate ourselves. If you don't want to, that's your opinion. If you want to just see film as it is, I've got no problem with that. But like yourself with Disney, just because you have these opinions, and I, I share them with Disney, just like. Like literally outraging, uh, uh, not not it's like outraging, but like this this like bullshit um, <laughs> ideology about like we're we're going to put LGBT characters into it, and I think it's it's genuinely been appalling, like and absolutely appalling. That doesn't mean that you can't watch a Disney film, it, you, you, but you know to yourself that they've never justified those actions, they've never justified to be a part of that that team. You know that. I don't think there's anything wrong with you watching those films again. Like I said, I, I'm, I'm I, if I'm going to watch some Roman Polanski films. I know what that that prick did. I know what that vile human did did, and he ran away and he couldn't deal with it. I know that there's other video calls out there, there's chat logs, there's documentaries about other things that people have done, which I can educate myself on, which I do. I do my I do my due diligence, and I appreciate that people don't don't want to do that and don't have to do that. And do you know what? More power to you. I love that. I love that you you want to indulge in film and get something out of film. I, I'm all for it. And, and and we've had people on this podcast. We've had many discussions about it, and I I love that fear. I I and I say that in absolutely no disparaging way. I'm probably too much. I have too much empathy. One of many sins, one of many sins. Um, but I I do, and I I would I, the fact that nobody really knows that about David Russell when he's making a film with Taylor Swift, is like who who personifies a generational learning for young women and girls and and boys and and this is like. You know, she's just getting very political at the moment, which I think is very good for her. I don't care who, who she, she leans to, whatever. But long as she's she's aware and she has a platform and she understands it. But then to go do that. But then again, you could argue the same conversation for her. So I'm not judging anyone, but I, I find that I, I will indulge in whatever I want to now from this 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 debauchery system. However, I will I will uh, on every occasion. I'm more well than more than well aware of of the substance behind it and the people I'm getting into and that will be just that will not justified that will be noted as well because I I just I just um, linked my my some review to to certain news corporations who have perhaps published quite bravely about certain things so that's what I'll do but again it's like Babylon it's interesting that I can imagine why Chisel went into this and I mean fucking we've been talking like two two hours almost two and a half hours almost. And I'm like, my voice is, I can, I can taste blood. Uh, I'm probably getting on your tits massively. I think I'm just like, will you shut the fuck up and move on? But I, we've, we've, we've watched this. I've watched it twice. I'm, I'm sure you've watched it like five times. I haven't lived this. I haven't been on that set and made this. I didn't storyboard it. I didn't write it. I didn't, I didn't send it off to a, to a final grade. I didn't go to a test screenings with it. I didn't release it at the premiere. I didn't release it for the commercial and, and, and critical success or disaster that it was. So these these thoughts and feelings we're having now, 
to have that in in, in someone's brain, like under forty making this film, um, is like king tier for me. I think that, and it's all there. I I, I, I would I would disagree with anyone who says it wasn't, but to me, it just encompasses this this mass extraordinary achievement of what this actually is. Um, but going into issues you may have, <laughs> not that we've gone onto these things, I do think there's just one thing. I watched it again, and I was like, I haven't got anything wrong with it, but I do think it comes out of like left field, and I think the Toby Maguire thing still, for some reason, maybe because it was inundated on meme culture. I don't know about you. I can't detach myself from that. I, every time I see it, I'm like, oh yeah, it's like the memes when he's like that. I think the sequence works. I think it's actually quite grim. The fact there's a crocodile there and stuff, which like I think it, you could feel it jumps the gun, but it goes so crazy to excess. And also, these people are all high as a kite. We talked about the unreliable narrator. Is that reality? I don't know. But I thought it was still quite jarring, yet it worked. I don't know how you feel about that. It's the only part of the film for me, Carson, where I'm like, and also, I'll go another one. I don't know what Spike Jones is doing here. I just think that's another one where I'm like, mm. it's like uh, David Gordon Green in Bones of All, because I've seen it. I was going to reveal it. Yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> and I felt the same with Spike Jones. I was like, we're, de we're detaching ourselves from the film here, and we're going into Spike Jones thing. And I think the, 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 the Tobey Maguire thing felt more concise, but was like, oh, we're, we're jumping something here. Are we going to, are we jump? what are we doing? So I don't know how you felt, what you might not work or not but that was a thing yeah it's interesting they're both like big swings right i think it's interesting like spike jones is more disruptive than toby mcguire but toby mcguire's role like takes that segment of the film and drastically changes it in a way i don't think spike jones characters does Agreed. so i think like it, it's more um disruptive i think both end up working i think spike jones it works enough here like i'm happy that when it comes time for that moment to work he shuts up it's not like it's overbearing, in my opinion. Um, <clears throat> Toby Maguire, big swing. I think it helps that you get that segment with the party afterwards. Maybe it's just because I'm a Dante's Inferno stan we'll talk about on the podcast over the Garden Wall in a couple weeks. But um, I, I think that works, but it is undeniably this. It's jarring, is what I'll say. It's a jarring switch in tone um, and energy. But I, for me, it works still. Um, I, it's definitely not what I expected, especially yes. when it was revealed that he was playing Chaplin and advertised as that by the trades. But like, um, for me, it overall works. But undeniably, it's one of the jo most jarring switches in the film. The, ol the, the only... I'm not going to play devil's advocate here, right? I'm going to say this. I, I feel like... The way I've wrestled... I, don't, I think it's jarring. I think it works. But I've sort of like condoned this in my head in a way. I feel like it gets to the point in these characters' life where film and art begin to imitate each other and begin to lose consciousness of what is what is what. So ultimately, we're watching a film about people making films, but then the reality of their situation is actually like almost a film in itself and how it's dictating. Like, like they've got a, a briefcase full of money, a bag full of money, and it's all fake money, and they're going to see a gangster. There's an alligator there. It's Toby Maguire looking like quite disheveled. They're all on, on, on a chronic or whatever they're drinking. And and the and the, the tonics. It was to me. It was an interesting moment where he, he, I think he perhaps tried to indulge in that the lines are becoming blurred here, and not only for the audience but also for the characters themselves. They're living in a, in a genre of a film and not realizing it. 
and then making film at the same time, which I think is a is a is a quite level above what we're even talking about here. That's very interesting. That's the dynamic I thought it was going for. But again, for for this is probably the only time, maybe in the film where I think the the critical aspect of it, the more mise en scene, the more film th- theoretic analysis is greater than the actual simplicity of it. Because I still think it comes across quite jarring. The Spike Jones thing is a, is a man shouting out in the background. I can sort of do that. The fact I know it's Spike Jones and he's doing a German accent based on the guy who made that film is like, okay, that's fun. Yeah, you know, I laugh to myself and I move on. The the the, the, the Tobey Maguire thing for me is like, oh, we're making a very much different type of conversation here because that that affects the narrative, that affects character decisions, motifs that ultimately will engage with where these characters go, why they have to disappear, heartbroken. What really is in the underworld of this? What 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 is entertainment to these people? Um, but it's a very different film to everything else. So I can understand why audiences would be like, "Oh, right." I'll tell you one thing as well. If I had to be reasonable, that felt like a director's cut sequence. Like that was his final cut. I get it in, but I can see that as being like a director's cut. But I, that just me being like. If I had to really rinse this, um, but yeah, I just thought jarring is the right word. Yeah, definitely a unique performance. Not what I expected from Tom McGuire, but I'll I'll take it. Um, did he produce I, this I as well? Be down to see him play the Joker. Uh, I think he did because he he's quite um, big. Isn't he? Didn't he produce something else that Chazelle had done as well? Like he's because uh, he hadn't done anything for a while as well. Oh yeah. Which may be uh, maybe the surprise, oh, yeah. yeah, maybe the surprise why we got what we got. Uh, sure, I'll say I think it's interesting. We talked for two and a half hours, pretty much on this, and we've not even mentioned the score, which I think is like phenomenal. I think it's like <laughs> unbelievable how good the score is. I listen to it often. It's, it's I, um, yeah, go, going into it, it's one of those predisposed notions of like you know what you're going to get, but even then, it ramps it up to like it elevates the material tenfold. There's very few films that get visualization and and, and and audible cohesion that, uh, that that go in this wonderful unification of just heightened uh, and it, 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 it sort of elevates the material I find that in all the brilliant films you get that if it's if it's Kubrick you've got like a like a choice of music in my own personal favorites I do I think fifth element the choice of music in that film is exquisite I think ta- taxi driver is an interesting choice of how it does it I think a lot of Hitchcock stuff Michael Mann is another one. There's a lot of choices to be made that elevate the mundane. Well, not mundane, but the sort of notion of what emotional um, uh, prowess and, and uh, connotation can be. He does that here in almost perfect unison with his visualization of everything, especially the fucking fury of the camera. It's like it, it needs to be let down. Like he's like he, he, the momentum he pushes forward. He doesn't stop. He doesn't give you any choice to sort of relax. And it's just elevated again by that score. It's rousing throughout. It's also, I would describe as a three-hour anthem. It's 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 a it's a visual, uh, audible novella. It goes in tangent. You can't separate one or the other. Which again is a fucking risk, because if something doesn't work here, it goes like, oh, this is, this is strange. It's like doing a certain. Contemporary choice in quite like a, a abysmal scene in, in, in Emerald Fennel's movies or something like that. Like it, like not to like shit on it, but it's definitely a point. Um, 
there can be some certain choices. Like um, we did a film with Ethan Hart where he plays Tesla, and he sings a Tears for Fears song. And I think we all, I think because Hillary was on there, I think I was. I don't know if you. Were, I think a few of the. I think you would have been actually. And it was during COVID, and it sort of worked. But it, but it was like, <laughs> it was definitely a reach. Some stuff like that. This, 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 this isn't similar. But I, I mean, in the point of. If 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 one of them doesn't work, the other gets let down, and I think for three hours, I think they're on a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think they're outstanding. I mean, just listen to it again. It's like I find this, I find this a horror film. I I, I find this really difficult to watch. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in, intoxicated by it. I'm engrossed by it. I I find that that the 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 score to be like immersive and just indulging, and I'm back into it, and then I see what I'm seeing, and I push myself out. And before I know it, I've got whiplash, ironically enough. There you go. That's for the fans. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know how you feel, but I think they work in tangent, probably like in perfection. Oh, for sure. And I mean, you mentioned the horror like side of this. There is like specifically, like um, I think back to the scene where he sees the first ever film he sees with the sound and how the crowd reacts and how he runs away. And it almost It's like edited like it's a horror film, like it's a monster film. Yeah. Like, it's um yeah it's absolutely in there for sure well i think that we've talked about a lot today i would like to get into our final wrap up final thoughts on babylon i will say just like i love this film obviously i loved the first time i watched it i've loved it every single rewatch uh talking about it today i think i love it even more somehow um it really is i think just one of the rare modern films i truly would say is just a masterpiece. I think we're going to look back at this um, in 10 years, in 20 years, in 30 years, and people are going to continue to discover it, and people are going to continue to kind of see the greatness that is here. When you talk about a lot of the great films like that we look back on and we're like, oh, those are some of the best of all time, there's a lot that weren't necessarily received that well or that hugely on release um, that have grown into their status. And I think this is definitely one of those films. There's so much here. It's so complex. It's so well-made. Um, I really think it's just like flawless. I think this is definitely um, a work of art unlike any other. I was worried to watch this again. I had quite big trepidation about it because of obviously I, I, by, by on, on your account and on Kyle's I was like, oh shit, this is going to be really good. And I really enjoyed it the first time and I didn't, we didn't, I didn't do it on any sort of podcast whatsoever. So um, it, it was, it was difficult. Um, to, to re- retrain from not having conversation. So thank you for like indulging me for two and a half hours because there's, there's, I just, there's so much to talk about and, and I love having conversation with you. I know about the film. I think it's been a really inviting experience. Um, I also agree this is better than the second time around, which is actually genius for me. That is, that's a, a pretty um, a decent uh, uh, comment to make for a three-hour film. Um, I still believe that I don't think he will objectively make a better film than this. My favorite of his is First Man. I, I find something that like indulgent in that in that character, where I, I quite find a, a joint expedition emotionally with, with that tra- that trajectory goes. That that's a subjective take on that film. I think objective, this is probably his magnum opus. I I, I seriously, I don't think he'll make a better film than this, um, which is which to say it's his fourth feature or his, his fourth fifth proper feature um, is like. 
I mean, we, there was always that conversation about who, you know, when you look at filmography, like who had a, who had a great run, Kubrick, yes, Michael Mann, maybe, Scorsese, maybe, but there's some, there's some underwhelming here, but Chazelle, man, oh, there's definitely a few, there's, a, there's an argument to be said that he probably hasn't made a bad film, and even then, I think all of them are quite digital, visual marvels. Um I, I just worry for the future. I really do. I just don't know where you go from this. You'd have to bring it down small, but you'd have to make it so profound and so immersive and, te- and, and emotionally engaging. I just, I think you probably, it would be restricted. It's probably just way too early. It's probably a genius before his time. But I, I agree, this is a magnum opus. This is incredible to watch. I just sort of gutted and get to see it in the cinema, but to watch it in my in my, in my front room with all the, the lights down, with the backlight lit up, so when they're in the party, it bursts orange, yellow, reds, purples, you know, browns and oranges and stuff like that. It's a, it is a, it's a, it's a, a very poetic experience. It just brings the house down, doesn't it? It's, it's two and a, it's plus three, three almost three hours of just going on a journey that just is tense. I mean, that's an understatement, is what we said, but yeah. I, I, I love this. I'm glad we had a chance to talk about it. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's so much. It yeah. really is like, it's a roller coaster. It's bombastic. It's exciting. It's fun. It's sad. It's haunting. It's scary. It's crippling. It really has like everything. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's like, I see this as a horror film. I, I don't want to watch this again. Not because I don't want it to like go down in my estimations, but I find this like quite in, intoxicating to watch and I find myself engaging with it on levels. Again, what we've talked about this conversation about critics, criticism, uh, morality, how we experience film. There's so much I find from this in this conversation that I've built up having just watched this film. Um, I, I don't want to watch this again and not be able to have this conversation. I think it would be like an absolute negative to the experience and also for your, for your, for your, for yourself. But I, I don't think I can watch this again. I really don't. I think it's that. You've got those films, sure. Like there's just, I, I see this as something I just, I, I, I've got to be very careful to watch this film again in a specific mood and it, it perhaps will probably be in years in the future because it's just, it's so encompassing I find it emotionally and, and um, almost physically crippling at times because I just find myself like, not fetal position but I, I just, I want to just um, just like crawl away you know, I, I feel left not necessarily dirty but just like I don't know. It feels like you're part you're part of the issue when you watch this film, which is like fucking horrible. But it, it it's a again. Imagine how Chazelle feels. That's what I like. Yeah. If that's how like, yeah. And I, but but at the end of the day, there's there's a there's a there's an educational thing that 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 people will get out of this, like we have, and other people who will, will grow to it, and it'll be that like you said about. Um, it'd be interesting to to when see the next generation find this. Because it will be like it'd be like everyone forgot about Barry Lyndon for a long, long time. Because you had The Shining, you had Eyes Wide Shut, and then people were like, "Oh my God, have you seen this? It's amazing." I think we're going to have the same thing with this. I think people will will come back and find La La Land or find First Man. You'll be like, "Have you seen that Babylon he made?" And people will indulge on this. And God forbid, what we're going to be like in 10, 20 years time with this system, you know, it, it'll just it'll just grow with with either utter fury. Or make its way in as as a time capsule of, of what came before it, and then how things the beauty of cinema. It, it's going to have a very strange lifespan as well, which is interesting. But yeah, it's it's probably like he's Barry Lyndon in, in that suggestion. Whew. 
Well, if you want to check out Babylon, you can definitely. I rec- I think we both recommend you oh, check definitely. it out. Um, and I think it's just incredibly worthwhile. For our question of the week, this film is obviously about filmmaking. Um, we've been rather dark, so we're going to go a little bit brighter um, with our question of the week being, what's the film that inspired you and made you love movies? What's like the film that did that for you? Um, I'll go first, because I, I feel like with me, you kind of expect a lot of films. I don't know if a lot of people would expect this if you didn't hear the story. It would be The Truman Show. Um, oh, this wow. was like one of the first it was like really the first film um, I because my family like do not consume media not like because of any reason they just hate film like they don't do it yeah just not the style not the culture um, so in middle school um, one of our teachers started like a movie club where they just brought like 30 dvds they had of films and would like give you one and every week you'd watch it come back talk about it whatever um and for the first one ever watched for this was the truman show and watching it and being exposed like what film could be um it was really quite um magical i would say and then obviously we found i found stuff that's more personal um since then but it was definitely a special one so for me it was the truman show at least um which i feel like I don't really talk about it. Which sort of like, it's, it it's kind of like, um, uh, for, for someone who's like indulging in cinema and someone who like wants to know, that's like a kind of like a, a quite difficult film to comprehend about the idea. There's a lot to Britain. Yeah. Um, I struggle with this one because I, I can't just come up with one because I'm just, I'm shit like that. There's a few. There's a few. There's a, there's, I've got about three or four that were like, the first film I ever saw when I was little, right, was, um, and this is really bad, but, um, the, uh, I put Commando on the Arnold Schwarzenegger film, which is a big, big thing on Uncut Gems, and I, I used to love that film. I, I never really understood what it was about, and then I, I would watch like Terminator Two and stuff. I was like, I'm that type of person. Um, you might not be able to guess how, how educated I talk and how eloquent I am. I'm then I am I fucking love a good Arnie movie. There's about there's a, there's about three or four though in my canon that changed the perception of what what film was to me. Uh, the first one is Romeo and Juliet by Baz Luhrmann, because I didn't think you could do that. Because I remember watching that when I was very little, and I couldn't understand why this wasn't like the best thing ever made. I couldn't understand how how he had he had elevated the material by by remaining consistent with the actual writing, but changed it to more contemporary time. I thought it was genius. Another one would be The Matrix, because that was something I'd never seen before. I think that I, I, come on, everyone knew that was coming. Everybody knew that was coming. I couldn't understand how they could do that. I couldn't understand how the sound was amazing. Everyone wore a certain type of clothing. The music in the film, the score by Don Davis, as well as that Rage Against the Machine, Keanu Reeves and, and stuff. And then I went out, um, then I found Taxi Driver, which I couldn't, again, was another one. Like, I can't understand how someone can, can make a film about someone who's horrifying to watch. Yeah, it'd be so compelling. So that's where the Scorsese and De Niro journey is. And probably, the, the last but not least, and there'll be a, a thing here, is probably Heat. Because I, I find, I think Heat's quite important to watch as a young man. Um, not because there's people who get shot in it and there's a massive car chase in it. I think that film's quite important, more so than Taxi Driver in, 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 in showcasing uh, about um, the isolation desperation and idealization of what what a young man perceives to be and what what it can be and it's there's two sides to that coin and they're both very dangerous and they're both very very uh, grim and there's both a reality there where they both lose something 
although there's no hero in that film essentially. And I think how he's stylized, how it's a journey, how it's about everybody gets fucked up in that film. Everyone gets fucked about just going for the next day, going for the big score. That there's a lot in that film to really detach and talk about, and I think Michael Mann is a master at it. So there's what those will be strangely the four films about film about film, which I feel like I don't want to like sound like a chad or anything like oh yeah, I love the Taxi Driver, I love um, I love um, the Matrix, but those are very early age films like before I'm like twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Very impacting films. How old were you when you watched Truman Show? Wrong button. Um, <laughs> what was I? Probably 14, 13. See, I think, this, I think it's pivotal before that. Because I, I, think, I think it works on subconscious level. I, I'm not... Oh, I'm going to sound like an absolute incel. I was never raised on Disney movies. Not per se because I didn't like them. But also because there was just no need for me. I didn't. They didn't feel any need to buy them. They, they, my parents liked liked movies. My my, my, mom, sure. my sister, sister's favorite film is Last of the Mohicans. Um, my dad's is a Jungle Book. So you can. There's a different. There's a dissonance there <laughs> straight away. So I remember when when I was very little, the, there was the, I had videos everywhere. They had because I'm from that era. They had videos and DVDs and stuff and. I I was a lot longer, younger than you. I think at that point to, to to watch movies. I think it's it's. I think that the earlier you access those things at the right level is better. But I didn't watch anything like Disney. I and I didn't have that entry into it. Whereas I like Disney. I like bed knob, bed knobs and broomsticks. I like stuff like that and have appreciation for it. But I don't. I was never indulged in that type of criteria where I, where I went really onto the big stuff and hard stuff. And I think it can be very dangerous for a young child to watch stuff like that. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not like a fucking Republican here or anything, but I do think it could be somewhat con <laughs> concerning. However, I think the younger you are, and the more acceptable you are to, to your, pa your parents or your, your carers, whoever whoever you're with, or just on your own. Once you understand that it's not real, I think you're fine. But I think probably 13, 11, 12, 13 is like, because you wouldn't have had, Jakob would probably be best to talk about this. Not, I'm not taking the piss here, but, there was there's like a digital age, a digital age, but then there's a video age where I remember that I used to go around to someone's house for tea and they used to have videos. Used to, oh my god! And they used to have like Nightmare on Elm Street, and I didn't know what that was. And I remember like my sister's era was like they go for sleepovers and watch a scary movie. I always feel like that's a seminal thing about watching film because I think that's why a lot of filmmakers are, are indulged in horror. So it's interesting you were, you were 14. So my mine's probably about five, six, seven where I was like bang that's it that's what I'm going to do that's what I want to do pivotal it's very interesting how that's that, that's probably did you did you so that's the only film you ever saw when you're 14 did you see stuff before that no so I saw like um like a lot of like kids movies like night museum like it was like I, I met more like film and like the depth of like what it could be I saw a lot of younger movies and then like um yeah stuff like that but um it was really around there because then I started really getting into film that I found like youtube like chris duckman yeah. started getting more and more into like f features and like going in the cinema it's like um that was really when like my love for film quote unquote came out i saw like disney films i you know specifically like um night at the museum too i saw like quite, quite a bit in theaters <laughs> um but yeah yeah interesting times and then my sister like traumatized me with horror movies when i was like super young but other than that yeah because i remember we used to watch the mummy Stephen Summers moment was like, oh my god, this is amazing, but you're so naive at that point because it's like you because what we've done this year, you go back sixty years, and there's another one, the first one, 
That's what I love about film, not to get melancholy, but the, the, go back, bring it back to Babylon. There's actually a beauty in going back because nobody, it, it's such a rampant rate about what we, what we consume, you know, going from like Romeo and Juliet to, to even like a, like a, how, how my, how my review schedule is. Like I'm watching Godzilla and then I'm watching the 1969 Destroy All Monsters and I'm watching Godzilla 1985 and I'm watching Bones and all. Then I'm watching Melissa P and then I'm watching something like Femme, which came out this year. And then I'm going to look into queer cinema. I watch Paris is Burning. It's quite um, erratic in, 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 in consumption, but it's always really nice to just go back and just, I love watching old films. I don't know how you feel now, having watched Babylon and having this conversation and even talking about films, films like you just warm me, like the, the films are actually proper, proper films, you know? Um, but just having this conversation, mate, it's like I just want to go back and watch an old film. I want to go watch um, the uh, the inspiration for the Asian actress. Yeah, I want to go watch once Charlie, like the, the punches in the Charlie Chan stuff. I want to go back and watch Hobson's Choice, David Lean. I don't really care about people not liking that on Letterbox, or I just I find it so engaging to look back and look at the history of cinema. And it's to, it's probably I don't think it's an active thing, but it's definitely a subconscious one. I find that Babylon's inspired me in a lot of ways to like not really give a shit about the trend about watching new stuff. Like I've done that. We've both been there, and we've both done the circuit. I've done, I've, I've done Venice. I've been there. I've done Cannes. I've done it, and it's a privilege to do that. But I'm, I'm not someone who engages in that rat race. And I think we've both had a massive burnout. I think I, I've had one, and then you've had one about it because we did, we did a lot very quick. Ironically, and that's what Babylon's all about. And I also feel like it's given me a newfound appreciation for. I just like going back now. I don't really give a shit about the, that, that consumer trend about watching. I watch the zone of interest when I see it. You know, that's the way I see it now. I don't care if I go watch it. I watch like 24 Jackie Chan movies. And do you know what? I've absolutely loved it. I really have. I fucking loved every minute of it. I've been watching it with my grandma. I've, honestly, I've, I've fucking loved every second just watching Project A, Thunderbolt, Who Am I? Watching um, uncut versions of films I've never seen. And like, and then watching uh, the Americanized versions, I find it fascinating. And to go back and watch Babylon, I want to watch some Cecil DeMille. I want to go back and watch some Buster Keaton. I want to watch some Chaplin. I want to go back and watch some. You know, I'm going to do something in in uh, in May about a certain black filmmaker who nobody talks about. Oscar Michaud, like nobody ever talks about him. I'm massively influential about getting lighting of black skin on screen. And nobody talks about him. And, you know, we're going to do Malik, which I think is interesting. So th this is why, again, go back to the point of the podcast. I find you and this so inspirational to come on and talk about. Because it it's, it's a really interesting dialogue to give precedent to, to these films. So, again, to reiterate, thank you very much for having me on. I really do appreciate just to indulge me talking shit. Because you could just say, Jack, you never, ever once in the chat go, let's move on. I, I love you, and I do love you that. If you wanted to, I would never judge you on it, but it's just good to go back and talk about these films. Oh, these are the conversations I want to have. <laughs> I mean, if I'm going to shut you down, why would I be doing this? I mean, I have, like, as you mentioned, I'm going to be very quick here. Um, like, I've gone through, even just, like, this past, like, month or two, just this radical change in, like, 
how I like I, I truly like I'll still do some reviews for Clapper. I'll do still do some reviews for various things. Like I have no interest in reviews anymore. Like outside of these. That's the thing about Clappercast. And that's why I think Clappercast did and taught me is like I like these spaces where we can talk about film Dialogue. and have these conversations yeah. around film. When I just post a review it feels so empty and void and hollow. Same with so many new releases. And I went through this last year where I was like, it just gets to a point where you're watching these new releases. And I you know I fucking watched every new release at some point, but I was like, why am I doing this? Like, what am I gaining from this when I can load up Criterion channel and watch literally fucking anything from cinema and like have this great experience and have this time. Um, that's where I am in my life as far as like being not just a film like viewer, but as a critic. I'm interested in just watching what I want to watch. And then naturally what I find writing wise rewarding is features truly. Like I just love when I have a feature and they come to me and like, I'll be watching this. And that's something with Clavercast is like, you know, we talked about Chazelle today and I rewatched a lot of his work, rewatching Malik, um, watched Pedro Almodovar's work for the first time. Agreed. Yes. Um, these explorations into cinema, I find to be so rewarding and I'm falling back in love with film, which is something I never realized. Like I kind of lost to a point. Not that like I always watched new releases and there'd be this, or there'd be a Luca Guadagnino film or something that I love mm-hmm. in these five star features, but I really stopped loving film and it started to become more of a job or more of like, a task, um, yeah. you know, like I have to meet a quota a task. I have to watch all the new releases. I have to have a take on, you know, fucking mank or whatever it is, you know? And it's like, I'm so happy now to like move on from that. And it's interesting. At one point I was like really motivated. I want to be a critic as like, I would love if I could be a critic for a job or a career or make money off of it. I'm very happy now that it's just a hobby and I'm not tied to this in any way because like I want to have fun with it. And that's what I value so much more in engaging with this art form rather than being a critic or getting paid to write 2000 words for one of these stupid fucking like, um, sites that lay off everyone, which if you go look at the layoffs now, it's insane yeah. for journalists. No one's talking about that um, as well. It's quite scary. Yeah. And just even like film Twitter, you know, like I, I think there's there's people who obviously, not name names, but there's people who really value like followers or fo- value like how many likes and retweets I yeah. get. And it's like, as someone who's gotten tweets or reactions that get lots of likes, like I, it's never been rewarding that's never been like what i want even with access you know like i work so hard to get access to early screenings and stuff and like it's cool don't get me wrong and i appreciate it but like i realized that i sat in those rooms like i don't know seeing a film a week before it releases even like festivals right like the festivals i've been to which are cool like i don't know seeing a film three months before it releases normal it doesn't add what I, it, that, that's not why I love film. That's not what I want out of this experience. I want to have conversations and talk and build this passion for film and build this understanding of film and have these great conversations on here and with others. And like, I don't know, it just, I'm radically changing and understanding what I want out of film and out of being a critic and out of all that. And like, it all is in Babylon also, but like, I don't know. I, I think it's just a, it's a very interesting time. And I think this podcast has really helped with that over the past year. Yeah. Um, I, I, so. I, I had like two epiphanies within, within film where on a personal level, I've always wanted, and I've spoken about this on the podcast. I always wanted desperately to just see the um, uh, something more of the unbreakable series. And I always wanted to go back to the matrix and I didn't have to wait very long for it. I, I had to wait. What? 20, 15 years for Split and I had to wait about, about 15 years for Mes- Mes- Resurrections and really bar that and perhaps The Irishman 
that's really all of I've, I've I've actually ever wanted from Hollywood. I've all I've only ever wanted to experience that again. To, and, and I got two movies at Splitting Glass, which I loved. And I also got to see Keanu Reeves. I also got to see Carrie Ann Moss back. And I also got to see a Wachowski make a movie. Like, I'm I'm pretty fine with new releases. There's nothing I'm desperately wanting to go. Two things that changed my <clears throat> my opinion on film criticism have both happened at what you said about access. I remember being in Cannes watching the new um, Xavier Dolan movie. And this guy was like next to me. And I've, so, I've told this story. I was like, just lit up a cigarette in the, in the theater. And I was like, I feel like I fucking come here. Like I've had, I've been searched to get in here. I, I can't even have a bottle of water and I'm desperate. I've got like a premiere ticket. I'm looking forward. And someone else just doesn't give a shit. And I remember watching Dune, right? And, and I don't think Nick could get into the screening and I could, and we went to, to Venice and I sat in the, probably one of the worst seats you can imagine were like this, breaking my neck. And halfway through, I could hear like a buzzing noise and I was like, and bear in mind, it was horrific to get in. I looked to left of me and there was a, there's like a person asleep. And I'm like, like, I don't know. Like, there's something like sort of died that day. Going back to back to the room and writing that up and being like, people just like I know people who would have killed for that opportunity. I know someone who would have fucking killed to be in that room to watch that two weeks earlier. And I have nothing against that. Like you said, if that's what if if I think it's a, it's not a greed thing. It's just um, it's formal. It's a real thing. And um, I, I yeah, fair enough. You if you want to watch that two or three three weeks early, like I did, it was brilliant. And you've seen a film that's been like pushed back a year, so that's exciting. But in, in, the, in the same, well, I'm not going to name the movie, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, but but you know, it's it's really exciting and it's fun to be in that. But I agree, I agree with you. I think um, people just take it for granted, and that's like the cesspool it's in. People just feed each other, and they don't give a shit about anyone else. That's why it's difficult to find access. That's why the whole thing of this clapper thing is, is is a thing because you know, like we, we were doing screeners and letting people be educated on it, and we've we've got a really good core group back. But I agree with you. Like I was doing like mid releases that I'd missed, and you were like, you were like called me out on like letterbox, and I, I looked at it and I was like, why the why am I why am I watching this? Like why do I feel the need to watch it? And then I watch a few other stuff that I'm interested in, like, and I'll I'll write for Clapper and I'll do reviews. But I very much like the editing factor of it. I very much like the the the, the editing features, looking at people's opinions, giving back feedback. But I agree with you completely. Now, my my stance on talking about film has changed from writing to having a conversation because it's you can't have nuance anymore in a, in a dialogue like that. And I agree with you, you write it into a void, which I'm fine with. I like that on Letterboxd for my own gratification. But this, to talk about Babylon, is why Babylon was made. I really, I really, and I don't, and I've read some writers who are incredible. I don't mean it like that. But I just think that I've, you've indulged me for, for two and a half hours. You can't do that in a review. You can't talk about the nuance of Chazelle's film. And I also think, not not that I think the, the industry needs a revamp, but I, I do think that the, the fact we've got this output and we're able to do this, I wonder if that would have perhaps changed people's opinions on that film if this was more a viable solution for the masses of just working in print. It'd be interesting if, if like, this was just a, a, a like, a, 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 um other markets were doing podcasts about it, and which they do do, but it's also like a secondary thing. Like little White Lies are quite good for it. I like, I like how Hannah Strong and David Jenkins are doing over there. They're a really good little foundation, and certain sign do it, and so on and so forth. But you can't do that in 15 minutes. You can't do that in 1,500 words, you know? Which I think is like a more modern modern issue with film anyway, but uh, alas. It's been wonderful being on here. I've really enjoyed it. Yes. 
Um, let's end this with our rapid <laughs> reviews. Um, I'm going to be very quick here. Um, I, I mentioned Chazelle. I rewatched a lot of his films. I just want to mention Whiplash. It was my first time seeing it outside of, I think, summer of 2015 in Montana in a tiny town. They have the grocery store in there. They have a DVD section for renting. It's like the only grocery store for 100 miles or whatever. So God, I picked Whiplash because I was like, oh, I heard great things. Every single person in my family hated it to the point where like they left. By the end of the film, I was the only one watching, <laughs> but I was blown away by it. First time watching it since then, truly like blown away even like again, like a, even though I knew it was like a five-star masterpiece, the layers and levels to that film and how well made it is. Um, it's one of those I'd love to clap or cast on one day. No idea when, like in a year or two, but um, definitely a lot there. And then you recommended this a while back. I finally watched Death Trap. Um, oh, unspoiled. Thank God. Do not spoil this for yourself if you watch this. Um, a film that is constantly, I mean, you mentioned it in your film or in your review, but every 10 minutes it it um, goes against expectations and it adds something new to the formula and it, it pushes itself to somewhere else. Um, where it's so fun and it's so engaging. Um, I think the ending's a little weak, but other Agreed. than that, like, really, really appreciate it. So I enjoyed those two. I feel like it's the only film that... Um, get... What have you seen? I've, I've, I've just said that I, I, I do feel like that's, like, a really good representation of camp in that film as well. I, honestly, Sidney Lumet is amazing. Um, I'll be quite brief here because I've just... I've finished my Jackie Chan marathon. I did watch 24 Jackie Chan movies. I've watched it throughout January. I'm, I'm a bit early because I was a little bit late on my um, my documentary December one. Really fun. Been watching, trying to find uh, different cuts of the film. In England, it's very difficult because we have a, 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 a... I'm not going to complain to the MPAA in your country, but we had a thing where you the, um, the Asian market was very difficult here because if they had a ninja star, it was an 18. So a lot of stuff would come in cut down by 20 to 30 minutes. So I'm watching like Jackie Chan movies. I watched like Who Am I when I was little, which like shows my age, 1998. It's like I was never allowed to watch the end of it because it was past my bedtime. Uh, but that's such a sad but wonderful story of my childhood. Um, and it was just like watching something completely different. I watched Pro- the Project A series. I watched it. the whole police story thing was fascinating to me. Definitely check out one, two, and three. The others you can forget. Um, I- I've watched some really good stuff with, with, with the Jackie Chan stuff. Um, Armor of God. I'm just re- I'm just putting the reviews up now, but I've seen everything, even the smaller stuff. Anyone out there, go watch Crime Story. Like what a what a devilish stepbrother stepchild it is to, to to police story. I did watch the Bones of All. Um, interesting enough, I watched the first half of it on my own, and then my mother came to watch it with me because she uh, uh, she was like, "Oh, what are you watching?" I was like, "Bones." And she sat with me and watched it, and she really enjoyed it. And I'll say this. Oh. This is why I hate you to a degree, right? Because everything you do, you actually make my life worse because I have to indulge in it. And I think it's vice versa, but I'm going to blame you this time. It's it's my favorite Luca Guagadino film. Oh, it was amazing. It, wow. Yeah, it was, my, it, was my, it was amazing. It was the perfect indictment of a road trip movie. And it's such a, a sub, a, um, an allegorical thing about the fentanyl crisis as well. There's a lot about there. I think Taylor Russell is like one of my favorite Newcomb actresses. She is so soft, but there's something under there. I think Little Tim was excellent. <laughs> there's a straight, there's a few, there's a few straight, straight lies there. I must admit, I don't know what David Gordon Green's doing in that film. Uh, although I think there's something there, but I think I don't know what's happening with that specific casting. We joked about the other thing with Mark Rylance. 
whatever he's doing, he needs to cease immediately and stop trying to look at people in a certain way and evoke that and every single character that is a multifaceted and not a one-dimensional portrayal of a human being. He seems to want to think that that means that like, like he has to indulge in like an, a we an autistic behavior, which I think is also like weirdly contra- like weirdly controversial for him to do, but also like very narrow minded on, on like what it, what it is to be autistic, and he does it in everything. And like, someone needs to fucking clap him in chains or something at this point. But I loved it. I didn't get around to watch Bo is Afraid. I watched something. I watched like Priscilla. I went, I watched Marion Antoinette, which I think is. Have you seen Marion Antoinette yet? Oh, I'm not on the list. What, what, a, what, if I was a young girl at that point in my life, 14, 13, 14, to watch that, and like that's the film where I think it's it's the personification of what we said. I can see levels in there where I'm like, she's talking to a 15 year old Sophie Coppola about getting into an industry, and people are going to bring her down just because of her name. And she's just a human being, she's the only young girl. And Marion Antoinette is like perfect personification of it. I thought it was wonderful. Watched it with Priscilla. Um, again, I think I spoke about that. I've watched a few bits. My phone's dead. I've got my. I had my fucking notes up. I've seen a few bits and pieces. I watched Holy Spider with my mom and my dad. Don't do that. Don't watch it with any parent. There's like a ten minute sequence at the end where there's like a a fellatio sequence. It's sim it's simulated, but it's like. I sat there thinking, I've made a mistake here. But that was a really interesting conversation about misogyny in a very different part of the world, which I thought was exquisitely done. God, what am I missing? I'm going to miss loads of silly things here. I watched Eileen. Godzilla. Well, yes, yes. Yeah, I watched Godzilla Minus One. I thought it was exquisite again. I watched it in the cinema because I missed it, and I thought it was fucking perfect. Part Ozu, honouring um, Japanese culture and society with Ozu's films. Then honouring with Honda's indication and indictment of the nuclear age, a perfect amalgamation of, of the both. With like, I know there's a controversy of how, how it's shot and knowing what Japanese Japanese culture is like being there. I can imagine those people were worked to the bone. And again, that's a conversation to be had as well about uh, abuse of of, of staff. And but it, it was it was uh, everyone deserves an absolute plaudit for that film. I watched uh, Godzilla 1985 in response, and then I watched Godzilla vs. Bolantai, Bol- the, the Rose one, which was, was which was fun. That's about does it, I think. I'm going to watch a few more crazy stuff. I watched Eileen. I don't know if you've seen Eileen. Have you seen Eileen? I keep to the wrong button. Um, yeah, I saw it at Sundance, this premiere. What did you think? I hate Did it. you really? I'm willing to rewatch it. I hate I haven't it. seen Lady Macbeth yet. I spoke to Jakob about this and he was like, you need to watch that next. So I'm going to watch that tonight. But I, I was sort of like, I didn't know where that was going. And then I was like, how long has this has got left? And it had 15 minutes. That takes <laughs> some choices. Um, I love how it's shot. I love how there's a fabrication of truth in that film um, of what framing is and what yeah. narrative is. It, it is definitely a rewatch film. I'll have to watch it in the future sometime. But I sort of loved it. I'm going to review that for Clapper as well. Um, I watched the Science Society of the Snows, which I thought was very good by Jay Bayona. But yeah, some good stuff. I'm going to do um, a Frankenheimer, uh, John Frankenheimer, Abel Ferrara, and a William Freakin series in February. I'm going to try to watch some more of my wish list. Uh, my, my watch list. So next few weeks on this is going to be fucking insane for uh, rapid reviews, and I promise they will be rapid next week. But yeah, some good stuff. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> 
Well, I think that's going to do it today as if we didn't have a long enough episode. <laughs> um, Jack, where can we find you on social media? You probably don't want to listen to any more of my ramblings, but if you want to just read a few reviews and listen to, to what we've got to say, um, again, you can find me on Clapper and, and, and uh, Letterboxd with the username at Sharp. I always link these episodes into my reviews. I put them in conjunction. But also subscribe to this on, on, on uh, Apple Podcasts and Uncut Gems. Listen to me and Carson talk about this. Listen to Jakob and Andy talk with me and everyone else. And and um and yeah, subscribe to the patrons as well. Support Carson. You're doing a wonderful job here. But yeah, I I love these. I listen to these on my break at work. I fucking I'm fascinated with this sort of stuff. So yeah, thank you very much for having me on. I know I said it enough, but you know I I don't appreciate. It. I I can't get it across enough. Thank you very much for having me on again. No worries. Y'all know where to find me. Thank you so much for listening and watching and subscribing and supporting. It means the world. I mean, again, this really has been like a project I've loved doing and we're going to roll on with some exciting episodes <laughs> soon. So with that, thank you so much. Um, we'll see you next time. Goodbye.